It's Josh Williams here with another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast. Uh, I have a wonderful guest here today, guys. Uh, he's a world touring comedian. He's the host of the Puck Off Podcast. He's open for Bill Burr, Lisa Lampanelli. He shared the stage with Dave Chappelle, Robin Williams. Uh, you know, he's performed live at Gotham. He's roasted Tommy Lee. He's performed in the NFL pregame show on Fox. But the most important thing is we're lucky enough to have him here now. Joe Bartnick is my guest today. Thanks for coming, buddy. Oh, what's up, Josh? Thanks for having me. It's a good, nice place here. <laughs> Thanks. Can't it's, wait to hit the massage chairs. <laughs> and they're actually the chairs you plug in, not some Asian lady waiting for you. That's so funny. <laughs> that w- I would be more impressed with that, though, if we just had actual human hands. Oh, absolutely. Well, then we would be starting the podcast uh, about 30 minutes later. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Casa de Absolute Comedy is equipped with two massage chairs. So we're, we're basically like the front of a good life or a gym where they've got the massage chairs in the front. Yeah. You're like a spa. Where's the hot tub and the cool bath? Absolutely. There's hot towels coming at the end of the podcast. <laughs> I get a shave. Yeah, so welcome. You're, uh, I've been mentioning to everybody just to get started with is that you're performing here. You're headlining all week at Absolute Comedy in Ottawa. Yeah, so. it's uh, the first two shows have been fun, man. Great club, great people. It's been, the whole tour, the whole the um, Absolute Empire has been a, has been a blast. Nice. You I'm, know? I'm glad you're enjoying it. I was going to plug the date again later in the, the show, but I'm like, you know what? If you guys are just listening, the most important thing is come see Joe while you still have a chance here in Ottawa the rest of the week. You know, you guys right. hear this on Friday, so there's two shows Friday night, two shows Saturday night, a show on Sunday, and a last chance opportunity to see him Monday night at the Tartan Pub in Orleans. So just get that quick little plug out, guys. Go to absolutecomedy.ca and you can get tickets for that. If you're listening to this three months later, well, then just disregard this. <laughs> Fuck off. You're, you're late to the party and you have to live with that. Um, so I guess just to, to be able to start for the listeners is uh, I kind of wanted to ask, you know, because a, a lot of people, you know, uh, we all don't know how my, my guests sort of got into comedy. Like you're a monster comedian now, but I kind of like to share with a lot of people sort of what what was your beginnings and said like what made you want to start stand up and how did you did you get into it yeah um i always just wanted to stay i've always wanted to be a stand-up comedian i just thought it was just the greatest job um i just you know i think I, i'm from the generation where johnny carson was on every night and then you saw the um you saw the comics come on and you're like wow that'd be fun to do and you you know you, you want to be johnny and then i think my biggest influences were eddie murphy delirious when he came out in the red leather and just crushed that's when like everyone was watching the same three things on television right in, in america and i'm not trying to be america for no no God. first canada because i think it's the same thing yeah we all we had we had all those shades yeah, so. yeah so you know i i really i really think like 80 to 90 percent of my generation of comics within my five-year t- time span and then and like my buddy paul verzi's his generation he's, he's like seven years younger they're into the eddie murphy when he wore the blue suit raw right right <laughs> but it's almost like how you generalize <laughs> what color suit was eddie murphy <laughs> right but, but he'd already been out there though then so for us for us red suit guys it was like when the beatles were on ed sullivan right where like all of a sudden everyone on in America picked up a guitar and wanted to be in a rock band. Right, right. Like every bad kid like me when they wanted attention wanted to be Eddie Murphy. That's and, one and, of the and, best analogies I've heard too because I've never heard but you're absolutely right. That's a lot of people have tried to personify the whole Eddie Murphy influence but that's a perfect one with the the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Well, thank you. Well, because it was because everyone else before that, you know, everyone's wearing a sport coat or a, or a tie and they want to impress Johnny. Right. And uh and they're clean. And uh you know, Eddie was none of that. 
Yeah. <laughs> he followed the bus boys and came out in their red suit and just threw fire. Yeah. For an hour. And everyone at the bus on Monday was just like knew the bits and it was just it was over. It was Eddie Murphy mania. And then, you know, you have the 48 hours in Mr. Robinson's neighborhood. And right. It, it's just it's Eddie Murphy. You know, whatever. I mean, that's he's you know, he's still the most talented human being, I think, of our lifetime. Yeah. As far as in my opinion, I'm not getting that debate. But I say, well, if you, it's your show. You can. Move in and out if you want. But no, dude. I mean, I think my that's linear a great... of like what I've got into. So then, you know, David. Then so then the original Letterman, the late night with David Letterman, right, was just mind blowing for like a, a a kid like in you know twelve, thirteen, fourteen to stay up and watch. Like stay up and watch it and be like tired at school and yeah. It was just the most like everyone today now, including when Letterman was on CB, including Letterman, was just doing a bad Letterman imitation. In my opinion, right. I mean, I, I mean, I love Jimmy Fallon. I, I love Kimmel. But 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 it's not Conan. But it's just not that was no one did that before, right? And, I remember another comic. I mean, I couldn't even remember who it was, but they were saying the same thing: is just staying up late at night and and listening to the top tens and everything yeah. like that. Yeah, and just how he would just oh, could, did you, could we swear on this podcast? Do right? anything you want. Oh yeah, oh, I oh, don't oh, hold oh, anything back. Oh, oh no, and, and just shit on famous people. Yeah, to their face. Yeah, like like no one did that. You know, so I mean, that's what Stern picked up on that. Right. Uh, you know, but. uh and then, you know, and then I grew up like two subway stops away from Dennis Miller. Wow. So Dennis was already Dennis. So then him on Saturday Night Live doing the news, that was just like, well, that's what I want to do. This is the jokes. And he's, yeah. And his, his Pittsburgh sensibilities of being like East Coast, but a little bit less dicky. Right, right. You, you know, I'm, I'm like, Pittsburghers are Pittsburghers. Like, we all get along the best. As soon as you meet a Pittsburgher, like, ah, you, just, you know the guy. But, um, you know, and then like, and then like Rodney Dangerfield was like another just stand up, and then I just I always I always just always wanted to do it, and then so I in those days in Pittsburgh like there's no comedy scene, there was no there was no comedy scene, there was like a couple guys Jimmy Crenn did comedy, a couple other people that were great, and they ended up being radio stars, and then so I'm just like I want to move to San Francisco and do it because that's when San Francisco was like a hotbed of comedy. Okay, because I was going to ask you why why San Francisco because I read. That you—that's where you started. Was you, yeah, you I just wanted to move there be from how much I, the city was a great city, and I knew that was just a huge comedy community, and it was just where I wanted to, to start. I, I'm still—I live in LA now. I'm still an LA person. Uh, so you know, and then I got there, went there, just you know, fumbled around for a few more years, and uh, but I always wanted to do it, and just said, "F it, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna go get. I got a job at the punchline, working the door, and uh, that was it. And that's then awesome. I got it, and then no, they never let anyone who worked at the punchline be comics. I was like, oh, you can't be a comic. Really? Yeah. And those, I was the first one to break through. And so they made me work the hardest to be one, but it made me a better comic. And then because the people who, like Jeff Wills, who's now the king of Live Nation, right. books like Chappelle, Burr, all around the world. Like, yeah, yeah. Booked the first, like, George Lopez tour, like, invented arena comedy. Right, right. Like, you know, um, he was which is no small feat for God's no, sake. Fill an uh, arena uh, with, yeah. with human beings to see a, a spoken word performance. It, it, oh God, yeah, I'm, yeah. So he's he was brilliant and he's a great guy. And long story short, though, it was right when comedy was just starting to come back, and the punchline was one of the destination A rooms in the country. Okay. So I got to open for David Tell, Louis Black, Dave Chappelle, Louis C.K., That's unreal. George Lopez. That's how I know all these guys. And it's just like I just got a master's degree in comedy, right? Where you, you would think I'd be further along in my career, but I, in my career, but, but just you know, so that's where like I got to meet like David Tell, and it tells my hero, he's, okay, he's the king. 
Even even Burr calls him like he's the king. Like he's, yeah, I like he, I like him. A Ian lot. Bag has the best line ever. Canadian. Ian Bag says, "If David tells not your favorite comic, I can't be your friend." <laughs> well, I can't say I can't say he's my favorite, but I admire the shit. Yeah, out of him. well, yeah. You, you might be a little younger generation, but right. like generational wise, but he's the comics comic. Like with, I've with, also with, only been able to see him on TV or on CD, right? So we know that seeing someone live, yeah. is So so I haven't had that that experience. And, and I'm not trying to be like, oh, you can't be my friend. No, and, of, it, course, it's, of course, but it's just he's that. So you're seeing him every, he'd be like there like four times a year for weeks. That was the thing. They just booked it. So it was like all the best people came back like three, four times a year. So it was just like Mitch Hedberg. I became great friends. So it, uh, Geraldo, everybody, all the, the best of the best, the best of the New York guys that would come out. Right. And that's how I kind of got my style. And that's just kind of how, um, and I just, we just, and then just doing 10 to 12 shows a week. Um, busting my ass to work up from doing laundromats, open mics, and that's when you have to wait a year to get on stage at the at the punchline, right? And then and then you get on, and like, okay, and then you host for a while, then you feature for a while, and you know, and then and you start people get taken down the road, and then you get. That's how I met Lampanelli. Wills goes, hey, this lady was just on this roast; she's going to be huge, right? Um, you you, you, you should go uh, work with her in Sacramento. I'm yeah, like, okay. I never did this ever. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, you know, uh, here's a couple tags. I just never did that. Right. And you go, oh, I'll try him out, partner. <laughs> By the end of the weekend, she's buying me dinner. She's like, you're on my team. Like she was closing with her. Like, they were all killing. And then that's awesome. That's how I started writing roasts with her. And then being her writer on a lot of the projects. And then she took me on the road with her for pretty much seven years. Where that's I, awesome. First couple of years, I did all of the gigs. And then you know, lesser and less. And then she's moving people in and stuff. But that was it. her moving up to the peak. So I was only staying like as only theaters and five star hotels. It was, it was well, dude, that's the best great. of the best. And so many people just see it as like a, a quick thing. They're like, oh, you know, I mean, like here in Canada, when I was a kid, like we were talking about staying you know, as a kid watching late night TV, I watched, you know, like the old evening and the improv and things like right. that. And I would see guys like Russell Peters on late night comedy shows like that when I was a kid. And so like 10 years ago, maybe a little under 10 years ago when Russell really blew up. You know, and all these people are like, hey, have you heard of this new guy? It's like, he's not new. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Okay, and Dunham is a perfect example too. Like Jeff Dunham got big a few years ago. You know what I mean? Not too, too long in the last decade. Yeah. But I saw him perform with Just Peanut and Walter on the old Super Dave Osborne variety show. Like he was on that show. We were. I was just showing a kid, uh, the kid that does the impressions last night. He didn't know who Super Dave Osborne was. Are you serious? And I was just like... You got a YouTube. I mean, I, so when I got home last night, I watched like three of them because I had Googled them yeah. like to show him who he was. And then like, <laughs> they're great. Oh, they're fucking great. And then he had the cartoon afterwards, which was hysterical. Oh, he's uh, Bob Einstein. Just one of the fight. He's a, uh, he's Funkhauser on uh curb your enthusiasm. If people okay. are wondering. Okay. And he's also Albert Brooks's brother. Oh, is he? Yeah. That, that guy is absolutely his, his voice is hysterical. Oh Yeah. Like I, yeah no I I have nothing uh, nothing but good things to say about yeah, Super he's, Dave Osborne. he's fantastic uh oh well yeah, people have been around and they blow up I opened for Louis C K at the Punchline in Sacramento when he was like you know making Pootie Tang or when he was kind of post Chris Rock kind of pre PBS or HBO first show debacle where he was just doing stand up around yeah you know just just it, we had enough credits to headline but was it was just brilliant. But no one heard of them, you know. Yeah. Well, and there's and there's so many great acts and guys that like because I mean again something that talking to different comics and and whatnot. I mean everybody hears how much work is involved in the industry. Like uh, you know you can't. It is so far from just being funny. 
You know, yes. you, you have to work so hard. And I wanted to ask you, just going back to the punchline that you were saying about, was you had said that that if you were doing, if you worked there, you couldn't do stand up. Now, do you mean that was like a policy of theirs, or was it just that, like, no, if you're working there, there's no way you're going to be able to do stand up? I mean, it was kind of their policy. I mean, yeah. obviously, it wasn't the most ironclad thing in the world because I showed the desire. They right. just didn't want, as opposed to like the comedy store. And it looks, it seems like the absolutes were some places they want the comics to be around. Right. Right. This was more like they just wanted people to work there. Because in those days, it was owned by Bill Graham Presents. Okay. The Bill Graham. Right. So the benefit of that was I also got to work at the, at the uh, Warfield and the Fillmore. So I saw a million musical acts. Wow. <laughs> those are like, yeah, yeah those so, are so iconic so, places. Yeah. So, you know, so it's like, you know, it was just kind of like, you know, they just, it, it was, I don't know whose policy it was. And it, it didn't let, I mean, I broke through it. So it, it just kind of made me better. It, 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 the, easier, the easier it is for you at the beginning, the worse it is in the long run for you in comedy. Right, cause because you felt that huge rise, and then it sort of yeah. Kind of if anything, it's kind of the kind of I mean, it, you know, you know, everyone's career goes peaks and valleys and ups and downs. Um, but I, uh, you know, if anything, I, I had it not easy in San Francisco per se. I, I I had it easier, and I lucked into just having some good guest sets and having some people take me on the road and stuff. Where I I worked a lot, not early, early, but medium early in my career. Where I worked a lot on word of mouth and um, like right place, right time kind of thing. Where then when you realize, oh, I'm going to start hustling again, right? <laughs> you, no, know, you, you, you fall into hustling when when people are calling you, right? And then when they, people stop calling, just due to just uh, momentum, then you go, oh man, I got to hustle it up again. Because yeah. I always call stand up the running game. It's always like if I'm on this show or that show or pitching this or doing that or any of my hockey things. So I was like, when well, no matter anything else fails, always I can always just get on stage and then I feel like I'm at home. Yeah, it's, it's like running the ball in football. Like, oh, this ain't working. Run the ball. Yeah, you and know? it's. Do you feel this is something for me that like I don't feel more like myself than when I'm on stage. As much as it's like a more accentuated version of when I'm off stage, I really feel the most comfortable. Well, that's a great thing to be because uh, like my wife would always say way back in the day when we were just dating everything, she goes, "You need you need to be the way you are in the kitchen." Yeah. And that's kind of the way I am on say, you know, it's a little nicer version of me. Right. But even now I almost feel like I'm 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 nicer. I'm um I feel like it's really close to just me. Cuz I'm almost so used to being on stage now forever that I'm and I'm and I'm not really in I'm not a public person when I'm not a public person. Okay. Does that make any sense? Yes, absolutely. You know, absolutely. like I try not to be the life of the party. Yeah. Cuz I I already am. I used to be, I used to be that way. Not necessarily trying to be the life of the party, but definitely trying to be like positive, outgoing, entertaining. Right. But then once you once you do stand up, like you're I guess that that if it's a need or whatever it is, is met. I'm I'm on stage so much that I I wanna get off stage, go home, put my feet up, read a book or watch TV. You know what I mean? Right. Like I don't want to talk to anybody. I don't want that expectation. I find now that I'm a comic, now when I'm in social situations, people expect it of me. Whereas before they didn't they didn't like it. You know what I mean? I don't mean that they hated it, but I'd have friends that would have to like prep people before we got together. Like my buddy Josh is a little outspoken. You know <laughs> well, what I mean? And now they go, spoken, oh, he's yeah. a comic. He's a comic. He's outspoken. <laughs> he's a little uh, rough around the edge, a little blunt sometimes. But you know mm-hmm. what I mean? But now that you, oh, he's a comedian. Like they get a fucking oh, yeah, well, sweep blunt, of explanation. Blunt's a funny thing because like I was never be allowed to go to my wife's Christmas parties or anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not office material. Right. You know what I mean? Or any material for work. But uh, no, oh, absolutely. No, well, even like last night, you know, a, a fun show. And then the fans were cool. And then one of the guys was a magician and he was like doing some tricks. And like, and then he was like, what to get me involved? It's like, no, dude, I just want to watch 
you're you do the tricks right like have somebody else pick the cards out like yeah i'm yeah. not on stage i'm i have a stage when i'm not on stage i don't need to be on stage anymore yeah i'd much rather give the floor to other people right and let them do their thing and let them talk like i'm talked out kind of yeah and i and i'm and i'm as i'm getting older too like I want to hear other people. I want to learn from someone else. I'd rather listen to someone else's point of view or something like that, if that makes any sense. Well, like, interesting people. Yes. Like, like you know, like, God, I'm like, yes. like you meet a guy like, oh, I do the brakes on roller coasters. Like, oh, wow, let me, let me hear about that. Or yeah. this guy's in the Navy. Let's hear about that. Or this guy does that. Or this woman does this. You know, but when it's just like, ah, uh, you know, it's always the weirdest thing on the road is you kind of give everybody like, every, I, I, I like everyone for like four minutes. <laughs> like, I like that. It's you're like America's Got Talent, basically. You're just going like, <laughs> you got four minutes to impress me, and I'm giving you the buzzer, or I'm going to let you go forward. You get to move on to the next show. <laughs> well, it's and this may this may sound uh, dicky, but it's it's kind of like okay when they're talking to me, like I'll be a good person, and like yeah 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 cool. Right. I like, guess what I do, yeah, and then ask me a question or two. But then it, it kind of like and for a lot of people. It turns to then they want you to be interested in them. Right. And some people and, doing and, that thing where they're just waiting for their turn to talk too. Like they ask you so that you'll ask them. Right. Yeah. And I just don't care. Yeah. You know, I can't be, I can't take an interest in everyone that comes over and says hello. I, I, I not to be a jerk, but I mean, but, but I generally like people and I like to say, Hey, you know, I'm just not a small talk guy. Right. Uh, you, no, there's got to be a purpose for the conversation. Yes, I get that. Yeah. I, I'm the same way. And it's it does suck because there's like you want everyone to know that you're happy and you're grateful they came and thanks yeah, no, so much. Yeah, no, exactly. That's, that's what I mean. It's like, it's like a very much like, hey, cool, yeah. man. Like, oh, yeah, great. Thanks for coming. And yeah, yeah. man. And, so how long are you in town for? And uh, you, you fly in? Or yeah, like, like all that shit that we doesn't. Do, and we do that and we talk some hockey. And then it's like, okay, like I, I'm just kind of like we're not going to be best friends. Right, you right, know. and at the same time, there's other people who want to say hello and and things right, like that. Right, yeah, too. but 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 by no means am I by no means at all am I ungrateful for anyone that wants to come see a show, eat my show, or anybody else's show in comedy. I think it's fantastic, and thank you. I'm just I'm just kind of like talked out. Yeah, well, that's what we do. We talk for a living, and then I, yeah, and then I feel like I'm bothering people because I'm talking too much. Right, you know, what I mean, it's like oh, they've already heard this guy. This guy just blah 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 because you have that post show energy. Right. Where you're like kind of like, oh, you can talk for another hour if you had to. Right. Oh, absolutely. So I just feel like I'm boring other and just feel like I'm boring people. Like I'd rather just get with a, the couple people I know and just like talk hockey or talk, you know, right. A- ACDC or whatever. Well, it's and, like and, and not have to like I not be on. I guess that's Yes. A, that I guess that would be the Yeah, like if you just want to because I'm sure you get this too. Like, well, you're not like on. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, like, I, I'm not on. Yeah. Well, it's like, <laughs> like, I'm sure. like if you're a cook, you don't like you don't come home and cook after your shit. You're like, I <laughs> yeah. can't wait to get home and just start making meals for the week. Right. No. Or no. Whatever, whatever the case may be. Like, you're a photographer. You're not like, you can't wait to go take more pictures. You're, you know. Yeah. I, and I think, too, it's funny because I'm, I'm sure your wife gets asked. I know my girlfriend gets asked when she's there at a show. And someone goes, like, oh, what's it like being with a comedian? Is it funny? It's like, no. No, they're not funny all the time. We're not on all the time. Oh, there's, I mean, well, you know, comedians' wives are saints. Yeah, uh, they're, they're, they're saints. I mean, we always kid around. There should be like 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 the first wives club, like like, <laughs> like all the all the comics wives get around there, or, or, or just sit around and tell the stories. Yeah, it's it's like because everyone sees the on stage, right? And they think comic. we're just like no them. one sees the off stage part. The, uh, what's really funny that you talk about wanting to be on stage all the time, but uh, my <laughs> I've known my wife. We've been together like almost twenty years, so it's funny because and. Um, 
like she she can't stand the fact that I need her to pay attention when I'm talking to her, like constantly, like 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 if she's like looking at the newspaper, I'll be like, hey, like you yeah, know, yeah. Hey, hey, what are you doing? Yeah, and she'll be like. Bartnick, I'm not. I'm not in the crowd. I didn't pay to see you. Like I, I can listen oh to you. Oh my god, that's funny. I, I can listen to you while you're talking to me. But like, I need the eye contact, right? It's stuff like that. The other thing she hates, like I do, and I'm, I don't know. I, I, I just do this. Is like I always hit her when I talk to her. Not, not hit her, hit her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but like, no, I know exactly because I do it too. Yeah, you know, like, hey, hey, yeah, yeah. a little tap, tap, tap on yeah. the arm. Hey, hey, in the car, <laughs> I always do that in the car, and it drives her. <laughs> freaking nuts like that. but but yeah no but the, the whole thing with the con i mean you know just everything that i, I mean because i think the worst is people who know their wives are married and then want to do comedy no right that, that never works out not, not never very but most of the people like you know we we meet our women when they're when we're comics right so they know what they're getting into yeah so, so they know what they're getting into but it's just funny because like everything that they put up with and all of us, it's like, it's just a different thing because we're not like other people. Right. We're just, we're not. We, yeah. We're hard to deal with at times. <laughs> like, yeah, we're just, we're different. Yeah. Every, everybody's different, but there's like just a different breed. Like we almost kind of get along with our own only and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, I thought of this the other day and, and tell me if you think this makes any sense. I may have even mentioned it on the podcast, but I was saying how, like, you know how nowadays, like comics always getting shit for, for telling jokes during tragedies, right? Yeah. We, we just, our, our natural instinct, we, even whether we say it or not, something bad happens and immediately we start in our heads cracking little jokes yeah, about yeah. it. Oh, I, And I was saying how like nowadays, right? I mean, we always get shit for it. If we say something public, you know, people, hey, this comedian, yeah. and they're the worst person. But I'm like, you know, there's so many different people with much different, uh, I don't want to say like mental illnesses or but mental conditions, right? And if someone's trying to express themselves or whatever, they're like, oh, we have to be supportive. That's the way they are and that's the way they think. But I'm like, well, why can't comics be people that in order for us to be able to process something tragic, we have to make it less threatening by joking about it. It's like a defense mechanism for what's going on. So no one's like, hey, comedians just think differently than other people. Right. And for them to process something tragic or dark or whatever, they have to make it less threatening by making it funny. But I, no, but I, we, they act like we're monsters and we're just, we just, like you said, we're just different. Yeah, that, that's just how we get through life. Like when yeah. we have something bad happens to us, like the first two things, well, at least I got three new minutes out of it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Where's the joke? Yeah, <laughs> it's there somewhere. No matter what's going on, I'm thinking, thinking of the joke. Yeah, constantly. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, and that's—I mean—that's how we deal with everything. And I think that's almost like if you're that kind of person, if if you're listening and you're that guy in the group of friends who's always getting in shit for telling a joke at an inappropriate time, you might just need to find a stage and get on it. Right. You, know, you might be a comedian who doesn't know he's a comedian yet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. And yeah. I, I wanted to ask you too, if you don't mind, like we're, uh, we're going back it, a ways. It, it's your show. Dude, it is your show. My I my one-man podcast is me shooting the shit with myself. But when I do these interviews, so I try a, to make it a 1.5. This is a 1.5. This is a one-man podcast interviewing one other man. <laughs> Um, but I wanted to ask, do you remember what your very first set was like? Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah, it was terrible. I was not an overnight, like, Hey, we did an open mic and killed. And then I got carried off. Uh, yeah. Like I think the first four or five shows of mine were terrible. Did you bring the safety blanket? That's what we call here when someone invites like all their friends. No, 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 no. Some no. people are absolutely not. Some people are like, Oh, I have no, to. I got, it, it was very funny is my first show ever started me and still to this day one of my best friends in the world brian kellen okay. who travels the world with george lopez and john hugage is kind of like a local legend ish guy he's a great comic done some tv work but he's still in the bay in the bay area um we all started the same night at this place called the luggage store which is 
uh, like an art gallery in, on Market Street in San Francisco, which is one of the main streets in San Francisco. But it's there's about a four block range where it looks like the bar from Star Wars. Like it's just <laughs> it's just the most evil crackhead. Um, wow, evil. I mean, just the like like the cops don't even walk down those streets. It's like it's just nasty, and it's right in there. And you go up the stairs. So like that's where my first. So they were four, always very polite and listened to the show. Yeah, no, they weren't even. There. It, was, it was like thirty comics or forty comics. Oh wow! You each get like five minutes. And the great Tony Sparks, he's still running open mics around the city. He would run it. So I did like five, three or four of those. And I think I did like another one somewhere. And then I did this Sunday afternoon at this Irish bar, where I was in the middle of my set and the jukebox started playing. Mm. And then. Um, People were like, ah, oh, shut that off. Where I'm like, wow, I'm better than like an old foreigner song. <laughs> that <laughs> was the first funny. recognition in like six sets of like, oh, okay, like someone cared. Oh, yeah. And it, what's it, so funny that you mentioned foreigner of all bands, because that's actually part, I, I'll, we'll get to it later, but that's actually part of that uh, hockey trivia thing. Oh, well, I was just on. looking into uh, maybe going to see foreigner at the Greek because a cheap trick is opening. Wow. Yeah. So that I was just, I just texting my wife, like, hey, let's get these tickets. That's awesome. Now, I, I wanted to ask you this too because different different part of North America. But do you do you remember how long it was before? Now you said you did these these open mic shows. Were you already working at the Punchline at this point? Yeah. Okay. All right. Because I started doing stand up a few open like we're talking maybe five six times on stage at different open mics around the city. Maybe once or twice at, at Absolute here, and then I did the same thing. I'm like, I want to be around this. I want to learn from these people. But I was living at home. I actually had a, a pretty good job. I, I left that job to pursue stand-up, my mom, who was the biggest supporter ever since I was a kid telling me to be a comic, I had never any interest in it. Really? Yeah, and I've told this story to my my audience before, so I'll give you the Coles Notes version, but basically, I never wanted to be a comic. I, I guess maybe in the back of my head, I was always like, I'm, I'm probably just funny around my friends or funny to people who know me or maybe you feed me a line and I'll get a... But I was like, am I gonna walk up in front of a room full of strangers who don't know me, who aren't feeding me lines and just make them laugh? So. I, I never really wanted it, and I never really had that thing about me that I'm like, oh, I'm funny. I got to do this. So, yeah. so when I finally, you know, tried it, and I had enough people telling me to do it, do it, do it. I was mid twenties, late late twenties, and uh, I, I finally did it. When I told my mom that I was thinking of doing it, I said, I just don't know how I'm gonna do a job that pays me nothing for God knows how long. She was like, if you pursue stand up comedy, you can move home, live here rent free, and just I want to see you, wow. but you give it your all. And I was like. I was like, that sounds a lot more supportive than some of the stories I've heard. So I oh, did yeah. that, but because I was living rent free, whatever, I wanted to contribute. So I'm like, listen, I need I need some sort of income. Right. So I I was bugging Jason like every every night. I'd be at the club watching the pros. I'd ask them questions of the shows, and eventually I was like, hey, you need a doorman or a guy in the kitchen or whatever it was. So a same thing. I eventually got a job working the door there, and I was sitting down listening to the headliners who'd come through, asking asking questions and and trying to learn as much about the business as I could. So it was I was lucky, same as yourself, to to be around that environment. Well, a lot of comics. I mean, Atel started work. Atel and Kevin Brennan worked the door at the Improv. Yeah, in New York. So I mean, millions of comics start out working at the club. Yeah, you know, you know we all want to be around it. You know, I mean, yeah, I know. I it was literally like. I mean, I didn't even know about open mics. Like, I didn't know how to, I just wanted to do it. So right. I like, went there and like, I got hired. It's, it's a funny story because I showed up to one, one of my best friends in the world hired me. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'm like, I, I'm supposed to be there at three or at four. I'm like, well, I don't want to go early. 
So I went at four. I go, you should be here at three. I go, and I told him, I go, well, here's why. And he goes, okay. And I got hired. Okay, <laughs> fair enough. And then I go, yeah, I want to do this. And, he, and I go, well, hang, start hanging out on Sunday nights. So I hung out on Sunday night, and it was just a million comics. And uh, they were. it was back when it was the height of SF comedy. So it was literally like I was, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm too good to get on this. I mean, these guys are too good. I can't get on this stage. Yeah. You know, and everyone's like, oh, let's start hanging out at these open mics. And that's what made me go with my first open mic. And it was the same uh, same for me. I was watching shows, the amateur shows at Yuck Yucks, the weekend shows. And then eventually one of the guys who hosted a lot of the stuff was just like, hey, I see you guys here, my group, my friends. <laughs> see you guys a lot. I run a show on Sunday night. You guys should come check it out. And we did. And it was in the basement of a bar. And we were like, oh, you can do comedy in a, you know what I mean? Like we just yeah. didn't. I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's the same acts I'm seeing at the clubs and I'm paying money to see them. Yeah. I can see them here for cheaper. And, and so I did. And just wasn't long afterwards. But I know in Ottawa, like what I wanted to ask you is, do you remember how long it was before you start getting like paid work? Like you're doing spots, you're doing open mics before you, but when you cross that threshold and like now I'm getting paid gigs, I'm getting paid spots. Cause in Ottawa, the guys progress quickly, but I think, I think personally the, the two club owners are kind of softies. Like I, when I started to come up, and I know this is an old jaded pay your dues kind of thing, but when I started coming up, it took guys a lot longer to get recognized for their talents and then started getting paid weekends and, and paid one nighters and corporates and things like that. Um, so do you remember how long it was when you went from like, I'm just a guy getting up doing spots to now you're one of the paid guys, you're doing weekends, you're, well, yeah, it took me, it took me a while. It took me a while. I wasn't, I wasn't that good. Um, it took me long. It did. It took me a little longer than most to get on, on Sundays cause I had worked there. Right. And it took me a little longer than most to get head to get, uh, hosting work because I was working there. Right, I think so. Just a little bit, but then once I was proven to, that they liked me, then I got way more advantages uh, from working there. Yeah, absolutely. But like then they're like, "Oh, we love Bartnick. He's he's family." And then and then they knew I was, they wanted me on, and I was good comic, so they wanted me on with the best people. Like so, whenever it was Chappelle or Attell or or you know uh, Wanda Sykes back in those days, he like they they it was like f- like four or five of us. That were like the main hosts, right? Then they'd sprinkle in other people, but like the the main ones that Will's wanted, like, hey, this is a great show. I, yeah, they I, want I, to be strong. Yeah, right, like the whole, the whole way. And you, and you want to impress. You don't want to tell to go back to New York. Yeah, they open it and the feature guy were terrible. You know, right? It's like you know. It's a, so, uh, but yeah, but then I I went up quickly. And the great thing was in Sacramento is like two hours away, and I had a pickup truck, and so. And they knew where I'd be at in the day. I'd answer phones in the day. So they knew that it was it, once traffic would hit like at four or five, if something, if something fell out, it's hard to get there from San Francisco. Right. But I had a truck and then I, I could get my girlfriend. I'd tell her there's, there was a, a, um, there's a department store right next to the punchline Sacramento. I'd say, I'll drive you up there. Come on. So I could go in the carpool lane. I could beat everyone. There. So they knew like at four 30, I, I could like so much strategy. They knew like <laughs> I could make it there. You know what I mean? So yeah, it, it took her like three years to figure out that there was actually a a um, uh, Nordstrom's rack in San Francisco. She goes, "There's one right downtown." I go, "If I told you that, you'd never go to Sacramento." That's so <laughs> funny. And that's Nordstrom. You said we just got one of those in Ottawa. Yeah, there's a Nordstrom's rack. It's like it's like an upscale Ross or TJ Maxx. It's like the, right, right, right. So women we don't have. That I don't shit. know if we have TJ. Women, Maxx. women love that. <laughs> I, I've been saying TJ Maxx the whole time. I can't because you don't you don't have Ross. You guys oh, have Ross dressed for less? I'm not familiar with that. Oh yeah, but Nordstrom, I know. Like we have a big, big Nordstrom. Yeah, here. but well, regular Nordstrom is like Macy's. Oh okay, okay. Nord- I thought Nordstrom's Nordstrom rack, rack sounded like a small version of Nordstrom. No, Nordstrom's like, rack is like okay. The stuff they don't sell is then a lot cheaper, right? 
So like an outlet version of the same. Right. Thing. But yeah. like just like the, the whatever, everything, everything's just cheaper. So if yeah. you. It's like the upper class peasant stuff. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so if you root around for a while, you're going to find something nice, a lot cheaper. Nice. Yeah. Well, hey, that's, that's good. Um, I was going to ask too, like in terms of, I mean, now, now you've traveled all over. I, we've, I hit the early stuff and I appreciate going over it. Cause I know everybody asks, Hey, what are your beginnings and stuff like that? But do you have not any- in a while? No one's asked in a while. So. Really? Yeah. It's been, I haven't done like an old school, like how did you start podcast in a while? Yeah. Well, I've I been just, doing a lot more with just like, you know, the, fr- you know, where the friends were just wacky. You yeah. Know, and I, and I love way that more stuff. of like Charlie Rose. Well, it's just kind of one of those, like, cause I, I mean, I can sit around, we're going to sit, we're going to hang out this week. I can ask you all these questions, but I figure like, it's kind of cool for other people, like other comics get inspiration yeah, totally, from you guys. Totally like, cool. Totally cool. Now, do you have any favorite places to perform? doesn't have to be a long, long one or whatever, but it just, um, the punchline San Francisco, San Francisco is my home. Uh, I like to stand in New York city. I like, um, um, those two clubs, um, cities. I love Chicago. Um, I love Pittsburgh, obviously my hometown. I love New York. I love Seattle, like San Francisco. Minneapolis is a great comedy town. Nice. Are there any good clubs in Pittsburgh now? Because you were saying we realized there's no comedy, real no. no uh, yeah, well, the, the Improv is a great club. Um, you know, and I've played some theaters in Pittsburgh. There's a, you know, it's really become a comedy town thanks to. I'll give a plug to uh, Randy Bauman, and he's like the the king of the of the ra- morning radio, and he's a really cool guy. And between him and at one time Jimmy Crenn. And now it's Bill Crawford who's a stand-up. They've really procured having guys on the air and really publicized comedy. So there's a lot, there's a lot of good, good talent out there now. There's a lot of that in the states too, like the the doing the radio and pushing comedy like that. I think it's it feels like it's more respected in the states than it is in Canada. Like we don't have a star system here. Our government, the Arts Council, doesn't even recognize stand-up comedy as an art form. Like well, you I don't do know f- if. Uh, I don't even know if we have a government anymore. But <laughs> <laughs> it's being it's being sold off. Yeah, yeah, on, put, yeah. on, put on Kijiji. I don't know what's going on in my country, but uh, yeah, I don't know if they <laughs> consider. I guess you can win like a congressional medal. I guess like you know, uh, I guess you know you can win a congressional medal for comedy. Well, no, the, you know they have the thing like the Kennedy Senator presents or the Presidential Achievement Award. They'll give it to like you know Bill Cosby or you know they may they may They're take give it, it back. to Cosby they, yeah. may, they may take it back <laughs> he may so... swing it like to put someone to sleep oh, uh, like uh, hypnotize him with it uh, that's right but, no evidence that way yeah, uh, yeah but yeah are getting away with a lot of stuff um you know yeah but it's not the i mean it's you know it's comedy i mean in the entertainment world is just one step above you know mimes and magicians and uh street perform you know yeah like, it seems i mean in, in hollywood it's not respected in new really? york and no it's not respected at all in new york it's respected as an art form really yeah i just mean like it sounds like you see a lot i see a lot of videos of comedians on the states on on u.s radio stations different cities local radio so like here like you want to bring a comedian on like you contact the radio station and like why the fuck would we do that yeah oh yeah you know what I mean? I, so like they yeah, seem like, to be like i did like the uh thanks to my fans that wanted me to, to do the rob mike richard show from tsn so uh he had me on, but I, but they usually don't have comics, you know what I mean? So it's like, and I did the radio station in Kingston, but there's, yeah, usually like if I'm here all week, I'll be getting up every, if it was America, I'd get up every morning and go do a radio station. Right. To promote the shows, which does it promote the shows or not is a different question, but at least you're on the air getting your name out there. Right. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many people up at 6 a.m. are the same people that go, hey, let's go to the comedy show. I think they're the ones who need it the most, personally. Uh, uh, <laughs> the ones no, 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 like, but they might go on the weekend, though. Oh, yes. No, yeah, yeah. No, they're not going during the week. No. Yeah. Like, they got to be up at 6 a.m. Yeah. <laughs> no, I hear you. I had, actually had a conversation with uh, with someone the other day, uh, one of my partners for another podcast, 
um, who was like, yeah, like comics. He goes, I, I love comedy. I think comedy is underappreciated. And he goes, if you just want to know how important it is to have someone who's funny and who's able to, to steer conversation, boring, like big events and stuff like that, because there's a reason that the Oscars always get, you know, comedians, or at least try to always get a comedian to be the host for something like that. And all the years that sucked, it was always like an actor or something. But when you had someone like Billy Crystal or somebody hosted right. Chris Rock, you know, uh, did Ricky Gervais do it? I think. He or does one of those Emmys where he gets like he gets a they get mad. At him. He's so funny because he shits on everybody. <laughs> I think it's it's like you think he does the Golden Globes. I don't think Is that the ever, one? Okay, maybe they let him do an Oscar. I don't know. Well, you know, I thought Letterman was hilarious when he did it, but he gets universally panned. Right. Well, I, I think I, I like, I like I mean, when I just like when famous people get shit on. I I don't know. I mean, I've I've only acted in a few things, and I'm not an actor, so and I, I don't want to sound like a, a sour grapes or whatever. I I just I can't find anything more repulsive than when actors take what they do like they're curing cancer yeah who was it that did an oscar speech that was like this doesn't matter oh it was seinfeld wasn't it seinfeld he won like an emmy or an oscar or something like like the awards mean nothing this is ridiculous <laughs> have you seen that video uh i i vaguely remember it but yeah well that's one thing stern would always do now you know stern's turned the corner now he's sucking up to everybody but he used to always just say that to, i you know i don't know i i can't okay you're a good actor you know you're 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 you're, you're playing pretend i i i, I <laughs> the only award shows i watch are the youtube clips of the um i want to say the intro the monologue okay that's all i'll watch because to yeah. me there's nothing more ridiculous and now there's people out there like oh well you watch hockey and that's just stupid whatever different strokes i hate to be a hater right but, but right. to me there's nothing more ridiculous then I would I, I even understand people in Hollywood or people in New York that are in the industry and want to see their friends or want to see their trends or whatever. But to be in Omaha, Nebraska, or to be in Ottawa and to watch rich people, infinitely rich people, give each congratulate other themselves yeah. and give themselves awards for playing make believe blows my mind. Yeah. It just and then blows, they, it just and then all their acceptance speeches it. are about how to change the world. Here's how we who play pretend we, yeah. should tell you to to, to take yeah, care. Yeah, it just like, wow. blows my mind that anyone would care like <laughs> about other people like that. Like I, you know, I don't know, that aren't interesting. Yeah, on any level. Like it's one thing if you want to. Okay, you know, watch whatever the um, you know, whatever a bunch of uh, vo- uh, you know, people that study volcanoes. Yeah, or whatever, give awards to each other, and you can hear what they're doing. Yeah, or even med- like like there's why is there no like medical advancement like like what is it the what's the one we have with Nobel awards yeah, those ha- ones are are good awards people who are out there doing things for the world but the make believe ones it's almost like to me it's almost like watching the draft for the next year of of actors because once they win an award now they're worth more right so that's all it is to me it's like let's give out the awards you're kind of like watching the actors draft. That's an industry thing. You know what I mean? They're going, oh, shit. Well, let's not get him for next year's thing because now he's going to cost more. We just want to fuck an or, Oscar. Or, or you're just like, it's like whose agency pushed the best yeah. to get them the Oscar. Yeah, it's like, who the yeah. fuck is the Academy? They don't come out and introduce themselves. You know, ladies and gentlemen, this year's a jury. <laughs> I've, I don't think I could name one fucking person that's ever. Well, know. wouldn't it be so much more interesting to like see the guy that won the Nobel Peace Prize and like see his little bio of what he did yeah. that year? Then to see whoever, oh my God, this pretty girl played an ugly girl, and that's why she's like a hero. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's I, like- I'm infinitely more interested in like, like the the composers, like when they give awards for a good score or something yeah. like that. I'm like, okay, yeah, those people are working. They're making music. The people who are who are making dinosaurs run in movies with the CGI or whatever. I'm like, that's impressive to me. Yeah. I'm like, so even that, 
I, I could, I could appreciate a little bit, but when it's like the actors, oh, let's save the best for last. It's like, you mean the guy who's, you know, whose face was in half the movie and the rest of it was fucking the computer guy <laughs> who've never heard of Billy, any kid. Right. I don't know. I, yeah, but I, I'm, I'm with you on that in terms of just the whole self-congratulatory nature of it. it. It is kind of like, they are just being paid millions of dollars to play dress up. Yeah. I, you know, way oversimplification, but at the end of the day, yeah, I would be. It would be nice to see the the medical awards or the science awards or, like I said, they can televise the Nobel, right? You know, prizes, or whatever. Who, I'm not caring anything. I don't know anything. So. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I'm a, I completely. And, and I'm literally, and I'm literally not trying to to to. I, I'm more like not shitting on the actors. I'm more like in disbelief of why America or Canada cares, right? Well, if we didn't That's give a like, shit, they wouldn't have a televised award show. There's an yeah, hour yeah, of red carpet dresses first. Like, why the fuck does yeah, that yeah, matter? Yeah, that, that, that's what I mean. Like, I'm, uh, you know, like they can do whatever they want. I just can't believe that people care. Yeah, like, like I'm all for whoever. Like, and that's what I mean. If you're in the industry, I, I, I get that. It's like you know, whatever. Like, I'm, like the dentist convention, they go, they have a convention. Someone gets dentist of the year. It's not televised. Right. <laughs> yeah, it's recognized <laughs> by the industry, but it's not like uh, right. can we get some. Uh, you know, the, uh, <laughs> yeah, you know, that's right. so funny. Um, getting back to your standup, my good sir. Um, I wanted to ask, and it, this, the answer may be no, but do you remember any, any of the like huge successes that you had? Now this sounds like a stupid question. Like, Hey, do you, do you have any success? No, but do you remember any like big moments in your career, big successes or any like big failure setback moments? Like any time where you were like, this is fucking amazing or like this, like this, maybe like, did you ever have a feeling like you wanted to quit ever? Any oh, doubts? every day. <laughs> Yeah, same here. I mean, that's almost uh, right. <laughs> every day. Like that's enough. But did you have any, ever have anything that like set you back huge, or that that really propelled you forward? Like any moments like that in your career? I had pneumonia for like four months about five years ago. Four years ago, that really hurt me because I was just struggling to live. Mm. Uh, but I was still I was touring with Lisa back then near the end of our when I was doing like a lot of the work. Um, I think that held me back a little bit. But held me back. Um, I definitely think sometimes like my my lack of i'm not a good i'm i'm I, i'm a hard worker but i'm not a go-getter does that make any sense i think that might help me you know like i was talking about how a lot of work came to me easily like all good you guess it at this funny bone and all of a sudden like they'll call me for like six weeks of work right and all of a sudden i just you fall out for a year doing something else it's like i gotta call this about someone changed oh okay so, so my own spurts, kind of, it's not like a steady race. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah I just mean, you know, so my own personal kind of, uh, not laziness per se, but like unwillingness to make my own phone calls or whatever might, right. might have helped me back. But uh, I, don't, I don't like, I never had like that big of an, I mean, I've worked on some television shows or from for some production companies where maybe I've done the wrong thing or not produced well enough and got fired or let go. But stand up wise, I don't think I've had anything that was really like, oh, that was terrible. That held me back. Right, right. And did you have any moments that were just like, you know, I, I've heard a friend of mine has a has a, a a great podcast called The Generators, and he talks to a lot of people, and, and a lot of them seem to always have this moment where they they say that like your your life can change with a phone call or an email sometimes, right? Where just something one thing happens and it just propels you forward and all you had to do is just describe like I, I guess i'm just one of those did you have any big moments in stand-up even if it was just a great night or a great great moment um well stand-up wise um because i i was kind of david tells designated driver because i could drink with him all night and then still like drive around you know and take him where i had to go um that he was like oh, i want to see your set and i'm just like oh my god it's the king 
And um, he had me on. He goes, do a guest set tomorrow night. So I did and had a good set. And um, and a couple of people I looked up to were there and like, hey, great job, great job, great job. And then literally like the next day, um, Jeff Wills, the guy we were talking about, his secretary called me and said, hey, do you want to work this week? Nice. So that was like my first, that was when I first started getting my, like after getting up on Sundays a lot and doing well, they still hadn't given me, given me like the week yet. Nice. And, and that was like the kind of, that, that, that did that. And, uh, and that's cool to it. Like, and we're not talking like you impressed, you know, your regular rotational, like, dude, you. Yeah. Well, that's why, yeah, that's why he's helped me out a bunch since. And that was one of my first one. I told you the Lisa story. Uh, that was a, a big one for me. And, um, you know, honestly, when I did, uh, I, I think, I, I think other than maybe Nia, Bill's wife, who wasn't his wife at the time, I think I was the first human being on Bill Burr's podcast that wasn't Bill Burr. Wow. And that was kind of like doing the Tonight Show. Oh, God. Because yeah. <laughs> especially the way, you know, nowadays how everything's fractured, that it was like I instantly, a bunch of people knew who I was. So. Um, and it's, 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 you know, there's, I mean, there's a million things that lead up to, right? Yeah, we all have great shows. There's a ton of fun nights. Yeah, and things to we think about. I mean, I'm probably missing a, something, but well, to be honest with you, in, in all fairness, if I was to be asked that question right now, I don't know what my answer would be right off the top of my head. Yeah, but just sometimes, sometimes people have that, like, oh, I know exactly when it was, and it was right here. Like the worst thing I had happened, the best thing I had happened. Um, but, but like I said, in all fairness, I don't truthfully know that i can answer that question <laughs> that's why i said there's nothing there but um in terms of uh like like i said i mean we talked early on about the, you're the host of the puck off podcast when uh when did you start like do you mind telling me a little bit about that podcast and the listeners too yeah no not at all um how long do you want me to tell you <laughs> dude whatever you like like i said this show is is to promote. yeah no, no 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 uh because um basically uh i i love hockey and i in, in la especially this this is like uh the Kings are, you know, Kings, I think, had already won their first cup, but it's like getting big. And Sideshow, a, a division of levity, had a bunch of big time podcasts. And my partner, uh, Fraser Smith, is a legendary LA comic and radio DJ who was, you know, he's like the Rick, D, he was like the Howard Stern of, of LA for years, became like on, did Hollywood Squares, mm-hmm. hosted game shows. And they came to him and he had been doing a, a baseball show with Jay Johnstone, Dodger legend. And they go, hey, can you do a hockey show? Because the GM, the main guy, the CEO of that division was a hockey guy. And Frazier's like, I know just the guy. That's awesome. So we started, it's coming up on our fifth year. Nice. Okay. And that, that answers my next question. And you guys just talk about whatever's going on, like in hockey. Uh- yeah. I, that's, I guess that was the point of the quest of my, how long, because the first year we just had, we always had a million comics or actors and some of them really knew hockey, and some of them knew were from Chicago. And we talked about deep dish pizza after. Oh, yeah, Chelios was great. And then we talked right, pizza yeah. for now. Then it came to the beginning of the year. Then it came to the playoffs. Well, the playoffs. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> people, it's hockey. People get intense. Oh, God. It, yeah. it, it gets serious. So then we just started really, really talking hockey and not like pizza or anything. So then it ended, and it was a summer start. And it was summer. So we, like, we didn't know better than not to keep going. Right. So we come up with like, oh, our 10 favorite Islanders or our 10 favorite Canadians or whatever. Yeah. So that got us through the, the, the next year. And then we're like, hey, it's, let's just, we, our numbers kept going up. We're like, hey, let's just talk hockey and only get the guys that know hockey back. Yeah, absolutely. So that was the second year. Get bigger. Third year, we had a Corey Hirsch came on every week as our hockey, as our, as our NHL guru. 
he was on Sportsnet and you know yeah, you yeah. guys know him in Canada. So um, yeah, and then then just this last year was back to just me and Fraser. But and we we just have our core of like five or six guests. But we've had other, we've had like famous guests uh, over time. But usually it's just me and Fraser. How is it uh, is every week? That's the big thing. Is knock on wood, we've never missed a week. Okay, which is huge in podcast. Have you recorded it from from Canada while you've been here, or do you have like like canned episodes? Is this a, uh, or a yeah? The the, well, the summer series. Uh, we have two in the can. This week's will be canned. The one like Friday mm-hmm. will be canned. It's funny because we had one in the can because I, I, you know, uh, I was incensed that it's funny because my, uh, I'm gonna say my opener, the guy on the show with me, Evan, a uh, big hockey guy. And I, I said, I go, yeah, well, this last week's show was about how Evgeny Malkin, one of my top two or three favorite players ever, didn't make the top 100 of all time. Really? Isn't it, isn't that insane? I don't like him. <laughs> I'm just joking. Yeah, but I mean, you gotta <laughs> just, admit he's one of the top 100 players of all time. I couldn't tell you. I he's an outstanding player, but I I don't know enough okay. about hockey to rank him up against everybody. Now, if we were talking Gordy Howe, Bobby Orr, Wayne yeah, Gretzky, yeah, yeah. Mark Messier, yeah. but I'm like, once I start to get down into the other ones, do you right. know what I mean? We got the well. Some, some some people say like he's top fifty, sixty, whatever the case may be. Right. He right. didn't make the top hundred. So I looked at the list like twenty times. Like it must be a typo. Then I saw Adam Oates was on the list, okay. which incensed me because Adam Oates isn't one. I'm like, how's he in the top hundred? Period. Right. So then we did this last week's show was a hundred players better than Adam Oates, <laughs> not on the list. <laughs> <laughs> I so, love that. So that's summer programming. Now this week's program, we had a director who um, he he had a guy that looked exactly like Henrik Zetterberg, right? And they went around New York filming episodes of him being dressed up as Henrik Zetterberg for no reason. That's awesome. Yeah. So we it's a little offbeat stuff, and then and then we get back because there's about six weeks where you can't do. Like, okay, previews for next season or what happened the season before or the free agency. Like, j- halfway through July, all the free agents are just about done except for a little, like, wrap-up for 10 minutes. Right. So that's where we're at now. But, yeah, but every show. So we got one. And then, so tomorrow, you hear this, t- like, tomorrow or whatever. But August 1st, they'll be fresh. Nice. They're well, back it's... to being fresh. So they'll be back in America. And I love. Because I didn't know that the condo would be free phones. Oh, okay. So it's like the call in and pay. For like uh, fifty bucks for an episode, like uh, we'll, yeah, that's we'll, not we'll worth can it. Up. But this way, it gives my producer the week off, and everyone can kind of re- absolutely. And you still do, you're still doing live, uh, which I really like. You and I, and I think the fucking names are clever. Is on Facebook, you do your morning skate. Yeah, Facebook right? and Twitter, and uh, for the historical value, they're all on the YouTube Puck Off Podcast page. Okay, sweet. We, we get no. There's there's like highways in Siberia that get more traffic than that Puck Off page because in the beginning. Um, I wasn't putting them up on the on that page, so and I still don't have a way because I give them first to the punch, punch drunk sports guys because they've always been good to me. So it goes on their website and then my Twitter, right? So, it, but I, it's just kind of not to keep them all on my phone. So it's kind of like a historical record, right. of the whole season. You can go back and see, oh, this is when that trade happened. You can see my take, or this is that game. Yeah, and I like them because they're short and sweet. It's not like you're on there doing like a seven minute video. Like it's no, short, well, for, they all have to be under two minutes. Right for Twitter, so oh, I didn't know that. I yeah, yeah. that's right too. Eh? Yeah, unless it's like a link to a YouTube, but to keep it right on there. Yeah, to be yeah, from my smart. phone. That's smart. Well, I know that like, um, and that really is the most skills I have in the computer is to get it from my phone to YouTube or or Twitter. Like that is it. Yeah. Well, I remember watching the the like I did not I have not been into hockey in years ever since I started stand up. I was telling you the night I used to have season tickets. And yeah. Interest, but I started stand up comedy the year afterwards. Like I I did those playoffs for the cup. Yeah. I I watched all the games the next season and then I started the next year. So I had the second season of tickets and I couldn't give them away. 
because people thought the price that I had was just, it was too good to be true. And so I would try to sell the tickets online for 40 bucks for a pair of tickets on that center ice line like yeah. I showed you. But I had like open mics to be on. Like my yeah. passion was, yeah. was coming, not sitting around. I'm living no, home well, for free. Well, that was another Jeff Will story. I had ACDC tickets. Oh, wow. And that's my band. And um, which, is a, which is a funny story. Long story short, he goes, well, are you an ACDC fan or are you a comic? So it was like a, a one-off with uh, somebody in some little theater in San Francisco. I'm like, ah, I'm a comic. Here, yeah, give yeah. my tickets away. Wow. Went saw him in San Jose. Because the funny thing is, because it happened, uh, the year the Penguins won their first cup, 1991, the night of game six, ACDC played outside of Pittsburgh. Wow. I went to see ACDC because it was game six. If it was game seven, then it's like, a, you don't know. But that's how I saw the Penguins win their first cup was Brian Johnson came out and goes, congratulations, Pittsburgh. You just won the fucking Stanley Cup. <laughs> and on the big screen, you see them you skating and kissing the cup. Oh, wow. And it's ACDC crowd as it is. The whole place just became mayhem. Yeah, oh, God. And then no, just ran insanity. home and like watched it on the VCR tape. Like, this is the greatest. Well, that's – and and – yeah, like I said, I mean, that's that's those are the choices you have to make. I chose my second year. I wanted to do stand up. I had to be at open mics. I I had to be at the club working the door. Like I couldn't even go to the games. Yeah. So it was that option. Like I said, yes, I, I moved home and I pursued stand up, but at the same time, I couldn't be fucking around. You know, going to hockey games and showing that I'm not pursuing anything. I'm just being a, a louse. But that's where I lost my my ins uh, my 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 passion for hockey because, like I said, I paid thousands of dollars for those season tickets i couldn't sell them i couldn't give them I, would, I remember standing at the college where the shuttle bus was to go out to the canadian tire center mm-hmm. and i'd be like guys two free tickets please and they're like no no we're just gonna go to a bar i'm like these are free tickets to the game please take them get on the bus and i think people thought i was just fucking them around they're yeah. gonna jump on a, a shuttle bus and go out <laughs> to the middle of nowhere to find out they're no good i just didn't want something i paid for money's go already gone to go to waste so yeah i just i got a bad taste in my mouth about the whole thing and i just Paid attention to hockey here and there. Like I, I could tell you every player on the team, their stats, everything. Uh, and now, right now, in the Ottawa Senators, I don't think I could name like more than three or four players. But I got into it this year because we did a serious run. Yeah, yeah. And I remember watching your morning skates in the morning, and I'm like, Joe's my buddy, but I'm. But you're like, oh, making donuts against Ottawa. I'm like, you motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, I'm, I can't wait to see you. I remember at one point it was looking real good for Ottawa, and I'm like, yeah, if my if my guys beat your Pens. I'll take you out for lunch, right? Lunch with me. That way you can't lose. And I'm sitting there going, the, the, those couple of games were, what was it, like 7 nothing or 8 nothing or 8-1? or There was a game, it, I think it was like game 6 or 5, where we just had our asses handed to us for so long. It was, it was a... I think game 5. Because then we came up and you guys won game 6. And it was so important because we hadn't scored a goal in like fucking, what, 80 minutes or something like yeah, that? Yeah, like, like that, yeah. So everyone was like, I'm like, that's such a huge goal because they need to be able to just know that they can fucking score on this guy. Oh, yeah. And, and thank, thank God game 7 happened the way it did. Just in the sense that like, Double overtime, everyone was playing hard in that game. So, like, you know, nobody went out with their tail between their No, 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 there was no goats. Up. I felt so bad for Anderson. I mean, yeah. he played his ass off. Just, just, I mean, he was insane. Yeah. For the record, everyone, he's wearing a five-time Stanley Cup champions penguin shirt right in front of me right now. It's <laughs> salt on the wound. But, uh, no, that's that's awesome. And I, I wanted to ask, too, now, obviously. It was the clean on. one. I, I had, like, three T-shirts, and that was, like, the cleanest <laughs> you're, you're one. Like, I have one for every night of the week to wear in Ottawa, just to remind them what happened No, this, this is the first time I've worn <laughs> and it. was the first time I've worn it, because your nice condo facilities. Thank you, Jason. You have laundry. So this is just, I've been, I've been working, walking around here, so I got, like, my, the two I've been wearing got sweaty. Right, and right. you can't put on like dirty clothes. Are you liking the city so far? Have you seen? Yeah, Ottawa was nice. I walked. Um, I walked. I didn't do the uh, the uh, lake route 
but because there's two routes to take a walk. But right. yesterday I took the walk through a Little Italy, and then Little uh, whatever Asian. Oh, Chinatown. It was, it was the Chinese. It looked like Thai and everything. It looked like everything. Probably everything. Yeah. We have Thai restaurants in Little Italy. Yeah. Like we have all the cultures yeah. and all the cultural right. designated so zones. So then I went down to the parliament building and all that area. So that was neat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ours, you see our White House that looks like a castle. Yeah, it looks <laughs> like uh, you have a, like a lords and bards and uh, all that stuff. Like the, the, the and you can walk right up to the front. Like you could take tours of it. That's like no big deal. Like, yeah, well, you know, Congress is like that. When I was in D.C. this fall... You could walk right up to like the the Senate building, like right up. And I'm thinking they must have satellites, like doing like laser recognition on my eyes, for me to like walk. Like, I mean, I'm not trying to. I don't want to be on some watch list, but I mean, if if I had like a jacket full of explosives, yeah, I could have got that. You know what? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. But, but not near the white. But the White House is fenced off. Yeah, you know what I mean, like. There's do they a, still do tours or anything like that? Or is that like press tours that they do for... I mean, like the teams that win like the World Series and the Stanley Cups go, but I don't think... I don't know if you can go... It used to be when you were a kid, you could have like paid to take a White House tour. I, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and I remember... You, you don't get the like tour like Sidney Crosby gets. Right. But, but You don't get to sit down and have dinner right, right, introduced to the no, show. No, but... Or just like, you know, oh, here's, you know, whatever. Here's where, you know, Clinton did this or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> if yeah. you look underneath the yeah, desk, yeah. there's still the old bubblegum stains. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> no, that's that, yeah, like I mean I, I I it's fascinating to me because like again, I I grew up in this city. So the whole idea of like walking right up to where, you know, the prime minister is and stuff like that. Right. Like, yeah. like last year there or last year the year before, anyone listening is going to hate me if I'm wrong, but uh there was a guy who who shot shot someone um the war memorial, which is like right up front of the the chateau, in yeah, Parliament. yeah, yeah, was and that, then ran was, inside to Parliament, and the RCMP. Had to I remember that because I mean I'm a big hockey guy, so I watch all like the the, the uh, Canadian news, so I knew all that. Yeah, I didn't know he was outside by that flame with the waterfront and the flame. Uh that's yeah, that's the eternal flame. He was actually it was it, right across outside of that area. There's a war memorial. Okay, it's near Chateau where, where where you guys stayed when you were in town, and maybe at some point if we do a drive, or whatever, I'll show you. It's super super gorgeous. Yeah, but there was a guy who was just just basically was like having a a guard in that area. Just the guy shot him. There's no reason to shoot him, but shot him. Ran inside the parliament, you know, and uh, and then there was a shootout, and that's where the guy got taken down. But that would never you you wouldn't even get on the lawn in the states. You know what I mean? You're not getting up to the the White House, running into the White House, no, running down well, hallways. Well, not, yeah, no, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't even get that far. Like, like I said, I was walking around near. It's called Capitol Hill. Yep. And walking around, I was doing skates from there, like <laughs> with the Capitol backdrop. Yeah. But you know, there was definitely like army dudes with like machine guns kind of hanging out. Yeah. Like I, you know. Yeah, they're not fucking around. <laughs> no, no, no. But I mean, I was just shocked the fact that I could walk up there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, and open my coat whenever I pull a string if I if I wanted to. I'm not, believe me, I don't want to be on some watch list, but I've said in a couple other pockets. It was just shocking to me how. Yeah, how, I, how, I think how, it's pretty reasonable. Anyone I, listening I, should know that you're <laughs> saying like I was just really in this day and age. Like, dude, we we went to New York like seven, eight years ago. Um, I was telling you about that. That was the day yeah. that we were going to see Geraldo yeah. and and Attell on yeah. that seller show, and we had to stand in line for like an hour. To get on a fuck like to go through security to get on a ferry to just float around the Statue of Liberty, right? And I'm like, and that who gives a fuck? You know what I mean? At the end of the day, like, yeah. I, I guess, but I mean, then why are we on all that shit for everything? Every every time you get in a car, get scanned real quick, just in case there's one other person with you, right? You're not going through that to get on a bus, no. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah. like, 
I don't know, but it just, it's, there is that, it, that it seems sometimes too extreme. Right. But yeah, I get what you're saying. Like nowadays when, when you have to do that, how can you walk up to Congress <laughs> and just be like, nothing? Yeah. Don't take my belt off. Nothing. That's I have to walk through there a little arch be, that, before I get to go up and see it. Yes. I mean, there must be like a, a you know, laser recognition. Yeah. They're just sitting there. Just yeah. scan your retinas. Yeah, like, yeah, the like fucking, oh, this guy was in, you know, Yemen last week. Like, yeah. Don't uh, stop him. It's like the Jason Bourne movies. Yeah. Like, yeah everyone yeah. is just yeah, scanning exactly. the retinas from the street cameras. Um, I, I wanted to ask too, like, obviously you're, you're, you're big with the puck off. Uh, where does your love of hockey come from? Do you have a hockey background? You know, when you were young, did you play? Or? Well, before Lemieux came to town, there was like three hockey rinks and I wanted to play, but my mom and dad are like, you know, A, we're not made of money and B, we're not getting up at three in the morning to take you to hockey practice. Yeah. So we always just played um, street hockey. That's why I have sweet hands. We just always played orange ball hockey. Like, right. All the time. All the time we played. And I loved it. And um, and my grandfather was the biggest hockey fan when nobody was, like when the Penguins were blue. Okay, he'd watch, on, he'd watch hockey on black and white television, and like with he had like a little transistor radio that could get all the all the different um, AM things. So he'd be watching the Penguins listen to the, like the Rangers or watching the Penguins listen to the Capitals or whoever you know any big city had like the big million watt AM station. You could get in Pittsburgh, you'd get like Chicago, New York, but you know so nice. Yeah, so I just always liked hockey, and then you know Lemieux came to town, and then when I was in well, that's fucking high exciting. school, and then you know the rest is history. Uh, <laughs> yeah, know, it's like, and his number was—I I didn't know this. I read this this morning in the in the book there, but uh, his number was a tribute to Wayne Gretzky. Mm-hmm. He flipped it and, and did that. There's a, there's a whole couple of pages articles of like where everyone got their numbers from. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought it was interesting. This is one guy uh, whose name was Heinz or whatever. Fifty-seven. Yeah, and he did it because of the condiment or whatever, yeah. just for fun. I'm well, you know, Yager 68 because that's when Yugoslavia fought Russia. Yeah. And, and a I, lot of famous guys are 19 because of Brian Trottier. Well, like there was, Iserman's 19 because of Trottier. Um, um, Sakic's 19 because of Trottier. Well, that's the thing. 19 is my lucky number. So Jason Spezza, Joe Thornton, Joe Sakic, uh, Steve Iserman. All because of Trotch. Yeah. I was just happy to have so many fucking great players with that number. I'm like, I got my lucky number and great. Oh, you're how's your lucky number? Nineteen. Just my birthday. I was like, it's like a Dungeons and Dragons thing. <laughs> <laughs> twenty. You need twenty sided dice to have a, a lucky nineteen. I'm gonna yeah. roll a nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Just give me <laughs> I guess I carry around pockets and pockets of dice trying to hit. No, I just. Yeah, a number that always, uh, like, everything coincidental seems to happen uh, around 19s for me. So I'm like, oh, it's just right. my birthday. No, they're the best-looking girls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I only have sex with 19s, yes. by the way. They're well over the 10s. No, um, no 18-year-olds, no 20-year-olds, only 19-year-olds. Any, uh, any big hockey moments? Oh, yeah. I mean, we could do five hours on Okay. Well, uh, we could. Yeah. Do you I, have mean, a- I, I saw the Kings win their first cup. The, the cup was handed out on the ice in L.A. That's pretty awesome. I, I should have seen it two years ago in Pittsburgh, but they choked game five. No, no. That's no good. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was at game five this year, though, at the Stanley Cup Finals. That was awesome. They won six nothing. So that was, that was the best hockey game I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Oh, I but I saw, I saw, like, let me score eight points. Um, I saw the outdoor game this year when they beat the fly. I mean, I've seen so many great hockey things. Well, and that's the, yeah, it's hard to narrow. I saw, I saw Lemieux hit 50 goals and then Yager hit 50 goals in the same game and Brendan Shanahan had a hat trick. My my mom was like, "Who's who's any good on the other team?" I'm like, oh, "That guy Shanahan." He's yeah, he's yeah. like two years in the league. He's playing for Hartford. <laughs> he had a hat trick. Yeah, I just seen some great, just some great stuff. Yeah, I mean that's hard to say too. When you're a fan of something, there's so many moments you like. Um, I, I read that you wrote uh, for the NHLPA. Yeah, I did some stuff. Whenever the NHL, they were trying to get, 
you know, uh, here's a few more guys now because Chicago, Chicago kind of got famous. Um, some, you know, they got Kane and Taves and some, you know, but for a while there, there was just always Ovechkin and Crosby. And so the players associated wanted, uh, you know, you know, internet stuff that showed other guys having fun and doing things. Yeah. So I would interview them and stuff like that and make it fun. You know, Hey, who's the best singer on the team or what's, who has the worst iPod or <laughs> I've always like, liked those questions more than the whole, okay, so what do you guys need to do next game? Like that's the same fucking question yeah. in and out. And I find the, I find too that politicians, they get the same, the same question like Dan and Dan. And I thought what was really funny, uh, I got a friend who's going to be on one of the, like the comedy shows here in Canada. Okay. And I said, they take, they do like sketch comedy, but they also do those, those goofy interview yeah. questions. And I was going to say a great idea for that would be ask the politicians, the hockey questions, ask the, <laughs> the hockey players, the politician. Yeah, questions. And it's Canada. So the, the politicians all know the hockey questions. <laughs> yeah. So how funny it would be, it'll be like, what do you think uh, Pittsburgh needs to do to uh, tighten up <laughs> next week against the, you know, to have some politicians like, uh, you know, yeah. or ask a hockey player a question about politics. Right. Well, they're you know pretty I mean? non-committal and that kind of thing, <laughs> but it's fun when they open up. That, that, that's when you get them laughing, you know, like who, you know, who's I, you know, who, who's iPod's more embarrassing. Yeah, and these guys, I mean, we see them on the ice. We saw what you did on the ice. I don't want to ask you what you did on the yeah. ice. I want to talk to you about the stuff that we didn't see. You know what I mean? And I think these they, they spend time on planes. They spend time in hotels together. These guys play practical jokes on each other all the time. Right. There are so many great stories. Yeah, that are that are that are untapped. Have you heard it? Have you heard any of those ones? Like any, has anyone opened up to you with something that they would probably never say on TV? Uh, oh yeah. Oh, uh, you know, we'll save that for, okay. We can do that. Yeah. We can save that. I'll, I'd love to have you. Again. Yeah. We can just talk that yeah. stuff. Um, so what else do I want to ask? I know that, uh, my, my listeners would be very upset with me if I didn't ask, but, uh, I mean, obviously you're, you're personal friends with Bill Burr. Um, I just wanted to ask how you guys met. Well, how did you first meet Burr? Well, I first met Burr. He was um, I, I I enjoyed his like um, what they what they have premium blend I think or one of the one of the little um, like a quick sets they have on an American Television on Comedy Central. Right, I think it might have been premium blend. It might have been another show like that. And I loved his set. I'm like, this guy's hilarious. And then he was on the Chappelle show, and then they were doing a tour. Charlie Murphy, him, and uh, a couple of the guys from the from the um. Donald Rawlings. I think there's another guy too from the show. They did a tour. They came through San Francisco. And I told my buddies, like, I don't know that comedy club. I'm like, I just want to go see this guy. Yeah. We can leave. We don't have to stay for Charlie Murphy. Like, it's fine. So I went, saw Bill. He was great. And then he was like hanging out outside, you know, after a set. And I'm like, and we were leaving, like, oh, just want to say, you know, uh, you're, you know, hilarious, blah, blah, blah. And he goes, ah. And I, and then uh, he goes, like, you want a CD or whatever? And I'm like, and I'm literally like, I, I, I had no money. Right. And he's like, ah, you're a comic. So I always give him the comics anyway. I think I lost a hundred in Atlanta. I think, I think people that weren't even comics were like, I'm a comic. Like, oh, you just give him the CD. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. yeah. I want to charge a comic. So cut to, um, Mitch Hedberg died. Hmm. Friend of mine did great things. He's Mitch. He's, he's, he's on, he's on my personal Mount Rushmore. Um, so driving with now the Wills has moved on the bigger things in Live Nation that still owns like the punchline, but whatever. So now Molly, who we, I started working the door together, like she's one of my best friends in the world. She's now booking like the openers and the feature or booking the whole club. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She's booking everything. So, but we're driving down. Oh, oh, no, no, that was it. She was still, she wasn't the booker yet, but we drove together to Mitch's memorial 
and it was like a it was a bad it was, we weren't like crying in the streets but it was like it was yeah it, pretty it, devastating yeah so again let's put on a bill burr cd and it was like awesome cut to like a couple months later she i'm in la she gets the job as booker and she goes hey guess who's up you know midland for bill burr and i'm like yes nice cut to um i was on stage for like a minute and because she's all worried if he's gonna like me or not and and, and, she, and he's just like i love this fucking guy this guy's the fucking best <laughs> And we've been great friends ever since. That's awesome. That's all it takes. Sometimes. <laughs> just meet the right, the, meet the right person. Yeah, you know that's awesome. Now, are you the Rose Bowl legend? Is that you? I am the Rose Bowl legend, um, and I'm the officially the Rose Bowl legend. Um, there's a little controversy uh, only because Jason Lawhead he he's he thinks he's like a, he wants to be a Rose Bowl legend, and he's 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 he's, he's entitled to be call himself the Rose Bowl legend. Okay, like, like, like that's fine. I'm not going to argue with him. You know, it, is this the now? Is this just for the grilling, the tailgate partying, or is this or, or like? Is that the thing? I've heard the the context. Well, well, that's the thing. He is like the official chef of the Rose Bowl. Le- he's the official chef of the Rose Bowl, and his he's legendary for his things. Okay, for cooking. Okay, the legend of the Rose Bowl. Or the Rose Bowl legend okay. is because the very first time me and Burr went, got absolutely, absolutely destroyed. Walk up this, barely got in, got in, I, I, I got in and I still had a lit Cuban cigar. <laughs> <laughs> so legal cigar. Yeah. Lit. Okay. E- illegal. What's that? It's illegal. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. an illegal, illegal cigar you so, in your hand. You still so lit. squished because... Um, you get so squished because we had it was so squished getting in, and we literally drank like a bottle of Crown, like a case of beer, like a bottle of Jaeger, like it's just like there's like two of us, and we cook steaks on a hibachi. So go in, and um, so I had a plastic thing, thing around my neck, so I didn't have to like I'd have to hand it to him. So I guess my, my cigar was in my hand or something. So. Uh, go in. We walk up, and the bowl was a bowl. Hundred thousand people. As we're walking up, they're like, they're like in the the home of the brave, and like the S ten fighter comes through. Like, <laughs> we're like, whoa, just wasted. We go to sit down, and um, like Bill's knocked over, knocking over people. And you know how like, if you watch a college football game, how there's like you'll see like thirty thousand people all the exact same color. We were in that section of USC fans, but we were just dressed like two people. <laughs> <laughs> so, so needless to say, he stood out a bit. Yeah, yeah. So we're just standing there. I'm, I'm there, and um, I'm just smoking my cigar. You know me, I'm a peaceful guy. This lady turns around and just goes, oh, you know, Jesus Christ, put that fucking thing out, blah, 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 blah. If she just would have went like, um, hey, can you put that out? Or hey, oh my God, you're smoking, please. I'm like, I, yeah, like I, an I, ounce I, of courtesy. I literally yeah. have been like, holy shit. Like, I wasn't even paying attention. Right. But she got so in my face. I just go, listen, bitch, you need to lose 40 pounds before you talk to me that way. <laughs> so then the guy turned to so then she's like, oh, fuck you. She gets her husband involved. Her husband looks at me, doesn't want any part of me. So it starts fucking with Bill. Oh wow! So, 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 so it's, it's like the, the, it's like a bar fight. Yeah, yeah, Two guys yeah, over yeah, here. Yeah, Next yeah, thing you know, yeah, everyone's yeah. throwing chairs. So, so then, so then, 
He's like, I'm going to do this. And then so they're going at it. And then the whole time I'm thinking like, oh, my God. We just spent like 300 bucks each on these seats. We're going to get thrown. She's like, I'm calling secure. Like, we're going to get tossed into the game yet. So, so then Penn State. So then Penn State, they stunk. They got beat like 47 to three, but they stopped the first three plays. This is like Matt Leiner at USC. This is right. 10 years ago. So the first three plays, though, they, they stopped them on third down. And so I go, nothing, nothing, not just spectacles. So they burn this guy arguing. He's like, I'm going to throw you on the field. And Burr's like, I don't think you are, man. I don't think you are. <laughs> so it got to the point where then, like, everyone around us was on our side. Right. <laughs> and then it all, whatever, fizzled out and everything went, and then that's it. But that is the Rose Bowl legend, is you got to you gotta lose 40 pounds to talk to me that way. Oh, like, wow. like, like, that's the, that's the Rose. That, that's when he's like, Bartnick's the Rose Bowl legend. So, so that, that title came from that interaction. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. Now, I Jason see, is a complete part of, he came in the second year. He didn't party with us, but he came over and did his baseball impressions. We're like, oh, we got to all go together next year. Yeah, yeah. So, Lawhead is a Rose Bowl legend, a legend of the Rose Bowl. Right. But the original. Yeah, the, the phrase was coined from. Yes. So, okay. And I don't argue when he wants, if he wants to, whatever, at any point, but that's, that's the whole thing. I don't get upset when he wants to say, "Well, oh, who's the real legend?" Like, I, he can say it every once. But that's that's the, that, the, where that, it came from. That's yeah, where yeah, yeah. That's like that's the official. Right, right, right. <laughs> I like that. I like that. That's great. Thanks so, for sharing. So, I didn't know that. We I, had so much fun. We got we to go every year. Yeah, and it just keeps getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And then Lawhead brings a. You know, brings Burr's thousand dollar grill, and it's that's like, what he it, said. Yeah, it, like the game changer, I think he yeah, called it. Yeah, or whatever. And, they, yeah. and we just go nuts, and we always have a blast, and it's it's a big deal. That's it's awesome. Well, that's the year. that's what he calls you every time he refers to you. Is that Rolls Royce legend? Yeah, but Joe Barnett. Yeah, so I, was like, so oh, I gotta ask about that. So gotta, that's uh, yeah. So that's yeah. So that's awesome. Um, um, now you'd mentioned earlier that you're written for television. So I was going to say, ask you, uh, just from your experiences, it, like, what's the difference writing for TV versus writing stand up? Is it a different monster? Well, writing for television is actual work. I don't write my stand up. Right. I just I work on my stand up every day. Like all I really have to do after this, because I did a couple of things I had to do for other projects, was I just um, every day I listen, which is great uh, for the kids. If anyone's still listening, if you want to get into stand up or you're young and stand up, my only two advices are get as much stage time as possible. Uh, cause if you're only do, if you're beginning out, if you only, you, you only get better by you, by doing more than three sets a week. If you're doing less than three sets a week, you're not, you're not getting any better. You're getting worse. Three, you'll just maintain. You have to do more than three, but that and tape all your sets and listen. So today I have to go back and listen to my set. And that's all I really do. If something's funny, it comes up. I write it down on a piece of paper, put it in my note, put it in my thing. I have a notebook, but I either type it in my phone or write it down on a piece of paper or like, I got to remember this. Yeah. And then I'll say it on stage. You saw how I work. I just kind of bullshit. Yeah, no, I mean, no, but it was great. Like, but, I, but, thank, thank you. But I mean, I don't write per se. I'll, I'll, I'll listen. Like, okay, oh, I want to say it this way, then I'll write it down my note, my, my, like, my notebook that way. It's the same style of me. It's like workshopping it basically. So you're not writing, but you're you're going up with premises. Or I may I, say, hey, hey, it. isn't that or like, hey, you know what happened to me today? I, I, this, and then like, see if maybe you get a kick out of it. Then maybe oh, I should do it on stage, maybe or. Yeah, absolutely. I'm constantly writing, but I'm not sitting down there. I don't sit down. I'm going to write an hour today and sit down and write. God, I, yeah, I, I can't do that. I, I don't do that at all. But unless I'm writing either for uh, a roast or or writing a job, yeah, <laughs> for television or somebody or what. That's the only time I sit by a computer, right? And is it nuts? Because a lot of guys get into stand up and they're like, "Oh, I want to, I want to, you know, write or write a movie or blah blah blah." I mean, every a lot of people 
from my experience and what I've seen, a lot of them treat stand up like it's going to be a transitional thing to go into TV or. Well, a lot of people, it is because there's only so many Elvises. Right. Yeah. You know, there's only so many. I mean, I. I'm just falling into it's all I want to do is because that's all I really want to do. So I'm kind of doing the faux hockey journalism route as my kind of backup plan or whatever. I, you know, you heard me talk about acting. I'm not a big act. I'm not. So, but yeah, most, most people, it is a gateway to everything else. I, this is my gateway to doing hockey stuff or radio or whatever. You know, it's like, it's a gateway for anything. Right. Stand up. Yeah. And do you do you do you enjoy writing for television? Do you enjoy doing that stuff? I mean, I mean, I'm sure even when you're doing your top 100 lists and things like that. I mean, there's that's not off the top of your that's a, that's a written sort of homework task as well. Yeah, I mean, no, that, I mean, anything stand up is all for yourself. So that's totally different than doing anything for anybody else, right? Right. No, that's true. <laughs> and Pocock's all for myself. So, so well, and if you're so, passionate about it, it's, it's not as much a labor of work as right as now is now is writing roasts. Um, uh, finer than other things. Yes, actually, writing for television and being in a writer's room is not as is it is fun, but that's it's it's actually a job. Yeah, and it's it's got to be tough too because I know. No, some is it guys- better than all the other shit jobs I've had? In my life? Oh, oh, absolutely. Maybe not as fun as bartending, but you know, like it's funer than ninety percent of jobs. Yeah, and it's not digging ditches. Yeah, but, but it's data entry in an office <laughs> under fluorescence. And stuff. Yeah, yeah, but it's still work. You know, it's still work. Yeah, and I, I I know from some of the guys that I've talked to that that write for TV and stuff like there's a certain amount of you know if you're writing for like a sketch show or a news show like you gotta come in every day and it's twelve articles and you could be like three four days straight where they never use anything that you're pitching right and shit like that like when you, like you said you're in a big writer's room um, I've only worked on one variety show like that and uh, I and Fox was once a week so um, was that the dog after midnight one Yeah um, I I I, I I think the way I would enjoy um, being a writer on uh, on television is I've never done a daily show. I've I've written I've written uh, I've written for uh, radio services um, where you like you, you write like thirty jokes a day, and if they pick them, they pay, and if they don't, they don't. Right. But, um, but I've never done a daily thing for television. I, I I think I would enjoy that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm because I think I'm I I think I'm a I. My mind thinks jokes. I'm trying as a stand-up to transition into stories. Okay. And longer bits. Like some people write great sketches, don't do jokes. Right. Yeah. No, you, you know what I mean? I, I'm, I'm a quicker guy. Um, my expertise besides roasts and or jokes is um, punch-up. Yes. Making things funnier. Right. But overall, big view picture, like I couldn't come up with a, you know seasons work. Uh, I, I'm not trying, not trying to knock myself. But I haven't. That's not my exercise. You know, like right. having a show, and maybe if it was my show or whatever, Joe Bartnick, uh, you know, the Joe Bartnick show, and I'm a whatever. I'm a dentist. I come up with <laughs> who knows? Maybe I can get seasons out of that. Right, but right. Just in general, like writing an episode of something is not something I really do. Yeah, and it's well, and that's the thing for me is it's like it's like that staring at the blank canvas. It's like if I, like you said, it's like hey, write a bunch of little jokes or whatever. That's that's something that's some direction. It's like oh, you're a dentist, write about that. Right. Like I, I, for me, it's just all I need sometimes is just a little bit of direction, and then I can sort of run with right. it. But to just be like, okay, write a show. Right. right like ah, fuck. Uh, well, I'm gonna tell you right now, my anxiety is gonna go through. <laughs> I cannot stare at that fucking blank canvas. Um, no, that's cool, man. Um, now you've been here for a few weeks and you've obviously traveled all over Canada before. Mm-hmm. How do you like performing up here? I think the Canadian audiences are great. Yeah. I, I, I love performing up here. 
I really do. I'm not just sucking up to you because no, by the time most people hear this, they'll be like, oh, he was here last week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's, I, I, always, I always like to ask just to see the differences and stuff too because, I mean, I, I've, I know that there's different crowds in different areas that, that you know, laugh at different things. Uh, people have told me several times, like I perform a lot in Ottawa. That's where I live. Um, but this is a, the whole town's a government town. Everybody, you know, that's, it's one of the highest, uh, you know, wages and, and cost of living and things like that in the country because everybody works for the government. There's money mm-hmm. for it. You know what I mean? But, but there's a, there's no recessions because there's always the government, right? doesn't seem to be. I mean, there's, there's government jobs that get cut all the time. You hear about that stuff. But generally speaking, in terms of the crowds, they tend to be more, uh, I don't want to even call them uptight. It seems to be, but they're definitely conservative with how they'll give out their laughter. Do you know what I mean? Like everyone's kind of worried that they don't want to laugh at the, the well, like, stuff. well, like you saw the, um, you saw, like I, I did, I didn't do any of my, um, I didn't do any of the kind of my racial jokes, uh, Wednesday, Tuesday, whatever the first night. Yeah. Tuesday's when I was Tuesday. There. Yeah. And then last night I, I did, I did, I did, I did, I did my racial chunk and I totally felt them. Like some of the people, like like the first night, everyone was like after the show, oh my god, it was amazing. And then last night, I think some of the people were like, hey, you know. And then because because the, the one bartender chick was like, oh, I heard your racial stuff, and I'm like thinking like you work here, you should know that like these are, or, or she was like, oh, so you're a racist, like kind of kidding. Oh really? And I'm just kind of like, uh, you know, I don't know because it's all it's always that stuff where you get more high fives or like great set. Great job from the blacks in the crowd, because they like they think it's funny. Yeah, well, yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's it, 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 it's it's kind of like pro them if you're smart enough to. And it's to, yeah, to, it feels, to catch if, if you go on buzzwords well, or or whatever. Oh my god, then you're never going to catch the the funny guy. Well, that's the two people are afraid to laugh. To be honest with you, that's like not the name drop, but that's like like Burr loves that loves the one joke in that racial chunk and he's like that's bro and the sound guy at the improv in irvine's like dude that joke and he names a part of the joke he's like that part is just brilliant so it's like you know it's kind of like for someone who works there i'm not trying to throw her under the bus i'm kind of like you didn't you don't no no absolutely and and i was a little big so i didn't have great defense you're not expecting i was just like oh yeah i don't know people i was just kind of like I don't really defend my, you know what I mean? It was kind of like, well, and that's, and that's what I, that's why I say like the nature of the city is like, sometimes people hear the word and shut down. They're not even listening to the context of. Yeah. And I don't use any buzzwords by any, by any means. I don't use any slurs or anything. It's just, no, God, no. It's just when you just, when you talk, you know, there's been, you know, whatever black people. Oh, well, and that's the nature. That's what I find sometimes is the nature of, of Ottawa is that they're because they're in these government environments and stuff like that. They're almost like, well, we can't, we can't like, it's like if you do a, a show for uh, like a, like a big company, everyone knows each other. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Work. So people are always like, can I laugh at the sex jokes or the, oh yeah. Well, like, when you were talking before about how uh, you feel weird about, uh, that's when you know, when you're like the life of the party or when you have to be, when you go to do a corporate event and you're like, you're just here because these people don't know how to talk among themselves. Yeah. <laughs> for like a half hour or, or whatever. It, it, it's kind of crazy. Well, I always find that rich people want to talk about minorities and poor people want to talk about sex. <laughs> <laughs> like if you ever do like a, a country club or a private gig, like, yeah. like, 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 you know, white collar rich people always want to, you know, always want to hear like, you know, whatever, not, not, not race jokes, but you know. Oh yeah. Yeah. And I just go up and talk about sex. That's why I was, no, but you know, it's funny. Cause like in Toronto, people are like, Oh, the crowds are a little tight. And wait till you get to Ottawa. But I, I found that the Toronto crowds uh, were totally easy. Oh yeah. I, I'd be totally like laughed at everything. 
you know, well, yeah, they're, and, they're and, less and, government, more diverse, more entertainment, more. Yeah. Whereas uh, last night was the first night I, I felt where it seemed like more people were held holding back a little bit. But I thought last night was maybe my worst set of the run. Really? I've had the whole time. Yeah, I just felt like off. I, still, knock on wood, people, a lot of people still thought it was great. I'm not trying to pat myself on the back. No, no, of But course. you know yourself when it's like, ah, it just didn't. Yeah, I mean, they can't all be, they can't all be fucking home runs. <laughs> yeah. No, it was like, a, you know, if you, if that's the only show you saw me, you'd be like, oh, that was great. Yeah. That's fine. Well, and that's and that's what I say too. Like you had mentioned it earlier, is like sometimes after the show, I, I don't mean to sound pompous. I, I hope, no, God, I hope no. I don't. No, God, no, no. Trust me, if you hear the shit I say normally, uh, we're not pompous. Uh, we're not pompous. <laughs> a lot of the listeners are just like, I just love learning more about these guys and the businesses and stuff. Right, right, listeners, isn't that what you say? Uh, <laughs> but I, like, there's there's times too, like you said, where like you can feel them going like, oh, but then they come up after the show like, great job. I've had I've had a bunch of shows where I felt like I was dying a terrible death on stage. And they didn't, they were quiet and responsive. And then after the show, they're like, that was great. Da, da, da. Oh, I didn't you know, feel like they were, I go, well, then let us know. They're like, well, we know everybody. And we just wouldn't, we didn't want to be the only ones laughing. I go, yeah, but if everyone's thinking that, so you're all having fun, I have no, and I go, that, that affects the show too. Yeah. There may, I think that's a more of a Canadian trend. I, I, I think, a, I think a lot more of a, the quiet, we enjoyed the show people in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Like a, there's more of those. But, yeah, I'm just like fucking laugh. I go if you're having fun, laugh. When people cover their mouths in comedy, I'm like, what the fuck are you doing? That's because there was definitely some shows in Toronto. And I'm like, oh, that, that was good, but and then it wasn't amazing. And then afterwards, everyone's like hugging you, so you're like, oh, okay, you know, yeah, yeah, that, yeah, yeah. Sure. It, it, it's just another fucking weird thing of comedy. I've got, I do have some listener questions. That's that's the end of the questions I have for you. But like I said, we could shoot the shit, and we will be. Speaking of which, I will remind everyone that Joe Bartnick is performing at Absolute Comedy this weekend. So you're getting if this you on sat Friday. through this for an hour, you should. Uh, oh yeah, please come see me. Yeah, come here. It's been funny. <laughs> come. But Joe's manifesto. Joe's there all weekend, and on Saturday I will be featuring for him. That's what you guys call it in the states before the headliner, right? The twenty minute or whatever. That's the feature. Right. Yeah, because here we called it middling. We call it oh middling. No, for it's, like it's, the middle it's, of the show. Literally the same thing. Yeah, no, exactly. But I just I never liked I liked the the feature name better. You know, hey, headliner this featuring so and so. Middling well, sounds I, I think, like I'm I'm like the Chinese finger trap in a porn movie. Do you know what I mean? It sounds like. You know, I'm the chick who's got the two guys. You know, I'm middling for Peter North and Ron Jeremy. Well, That's I, I think featuring is what you say to civilians, and I think middling is what you say like among, the industry term. Kind it, of yeah, thing. like if you're talking to me, well, you're, I'm middling. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah, because that's the thing. I'm like, people would say that, but you don't tell. Like, so I'm middling, and you're like, what does that mean? Decent looking chick. Oh, I'm middling. You say, hey, I'm, oh, I'm the feature act. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I'm middling. So was I in these <laughs> California movies. I was right in between them. Uh, <laughs> right, you go. I'm middling for Joe Bartnick and Evan Evan Carter, and you're like, what are they doing? Anyways, yeah. so yeah, there we're. I'm there on Saturday, guys. If you want to see, uh, you know, your your faithful host here. Um, but yeah, I mean, go see Joe anytime you can this weekend. Like I said, you got the last opportunity on Monday night at the Tartan Pub in Orleans. If you're way out in the middle of nowhere and, and have a difficult time getting into the city. Um, I do have, uh, the only one person wrote in, but he wrote in a few different questions and I would be interested to hear, to hear your results. Only one person wrote only in? Only one person wrote in. Oh God. Um, but Who, he wrote do in. Do I know him? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. So what he, what he, this Is that guy, bad? Does that mean I don't have a draw? Yeah. In Ottawa. That means I don't have a fucking uh, draw. No one was paying attention to me. Um, so his, Jerry's got a few questions. One of his questions is, is racist or sorry, is racism prevalent in, in, in comedy industry? Um, what do you mean? Like white guys have less opportunities than black guys? I don't. I don't really know. To be honest with you, I'm I always. I'm always telling. It's you definitely head. turned in the sense where if you're a straight white guy, it's much harder 
because of the way the industry wants to have either chicks or gay dudes or, or any other color but white ahead of you on almost everything nowadays. But the cream rises to the top. And the, the white guys, straight white guys that are the most famous and the best, uh, they're the best. You know, Burr, Attell, Louis C.K., um, you know, Sebastian Manikowski is great. Um, you know, there's like the guys that on top are on. They're on top for a reason. So I, I, it's just about working harder. If, 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 if that's what he means, that there, there is racism that anti-racism or whatever, the anti-white male, not to like bring out the violin. I think everything in life is turning that way right now anyway against the white man, right? Uh, I've, I talked about that on, a, on an episode recently. I don't, I don't like my, my perception of it isn't so, so much like, you know, the, the anti-white men, but it seems like nowadays we're striving for equality and I'm all for that. I really am for like everyone deserves a fair share. Yeah, yeah. We all have advantages and we all have disadvantages. Right. But I'm like, but now there's like, uh, I, I basically attacked privileged when people are like, oh, you're, you check your privilege and, and remember your privilege. I'm like, well, that sounds to me like instead of listening to my opinion and seeing if there's any merit on it based on what I said, you're telling me in advance that my opinion is privileged. Like you're basically slapping a label on it before you pay attention to it. Right. And I said, and the same thing with mansplaining. People are like, oh, he's mansplaining. If you, if you, you know, if you say your position, I thought mansplaining was when you were just, you know, you were being uh, chauvinistic or something like that. And, no, and no, it's just talking. But it was like, but basically, it means condescending. It says whenever a man is talking down to a woman about a about a, a conversation or something. And again, I could be wrong in my definition. Someone came at me for my definitions, but. Um, the way I, I looked at it was, I was like, well, that's condescending. If you're talking down to someone, it's condescending. It's not a gender doing it to another gender. Be, if you're being condescending, you're being condescending. You don't have to change it and make it a, now a gender-related thing. I did the oldest radio station in Canada, in Kingston. It was the university show. And uh, they had like a list of like 9, 10, 12 hotlines for every microaggression in the world. Canada is, I think, way more um, that way. We're we're uh, more than, sensitive. Than, we try than, to make everybody. Than, than, I mean, America's turning that way, uh, but I think it's way more pre- prevalent up, up here. As far as people, I mean, pe- people in America too. They people want to find, you know, so, you know, every, this and that and the other thing. They they, they want to find, um, you know, racism and they want to find this and that. If you're looking at anything, you can find what you want. But you know. I, well, my, yeah, my, my position was like, I want, I want everyone to win and I, I want to hear what everybody has to say. Yeah. So my big thing was, you know what, if we really are trying to strive for progress, finding new ways to start tell, like, basically, if you tell me that my opinion means less because like I'm mansplaining to you because I have an opinion, I go, well, that's, that's not progressive. That's basically going like when men told women that they didn't have a voice, that they didn't deserve to speak because they were inferior, that was wrong. You know what I mean? We were wrong to be like, you don't deserve to say something. Everybody you don't to wants to be the victim. No one wants to rise above and not be victims. Well, that's kind of how I feel. Everybody wants to be the victim. Oh, there's a, everyone wants an excuse of why they're not where they're at. And that's why. And, and, and they want it legislated and, and made officially why they're not where they're at. Well, whereas, whereas, you know, and I, whatever, you know, like Obama's the president. Or was the president, you know, uh, black people can do whatever they want. <laughs> I mean, there's racism out there. I'm sure there is. Absolutely. I, I, but everyone can do what they want. You know, if Hillary wasn't such a, a C word, you would have had a woman president. You know, it's, it, I mean, I'm not saying there isn't racism or sexism or whatever, but, I, I, you know. It, yeah, it, it, without question, like that stuff's it's, out there. It, but it's not. The, it's not the 1930s. Well, it's like anything else. <laughs> it's know. like anything else in life, and I and I agree with this. And I and I'm I'm I'd be honest with you. Like my position right now is that I I 
I know that I, I care about everybody. I love everybody. I want everyone to have a fair shake. So I feel comfortable saying it. But at the same time, I'm, I'm almost like anything I say, I feel like someone could jump down my throat for. But the truth of the matter is anytime something happens to your life, the guys like Tony Robbins talk about this shit, is that we find reasons to blame something else because if it's something else's fault, we don't have to, 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 to anchor it ourselves and take right. it on. So the whole idea is as long as everybody feels like somebody else is responsible for them not succeeding, whether that be in business or life or whatever it is, uh, it's it. You can basically go. Well, I don't have to do anything because it's not my somebody else is doing right. it to me. So you take away yeah, the, man the control from yourself. Down. Now I know that racism exists. Do you know what I mean? Like oh, people, there are certain levels of privilege where you go. If I'm looking at a resume that says John Smith or Akbar Abdullahi, you know, depending there there may be someone who goes. Well, I'm I'm judging based just on the name, and there's that sort of level of racism that can exist there. I know things like that exist, but I I strongly believe. Now, of course, yeah, I'm a, I'm a white guy, so maybe the world bends over backwards to me. But I'm overweight. <laughs> I I've grown up in poverty. Like I've had my own list of things. I have anxieties and stuff like that. Yeah. I got my own list of shit that well, holds well, me well, back. Well, too. It's like the it's like you know it's like the the the, the privilege is like if I look decent. I can go take a dump in any metropolitan hotel. Like I can go to the bathroom. Yeah, I can walk in to the Sheraton in Wisconsin and then like go, oh, just walk in, nod my head, and find the men's room and go. Right. If I'm a black guy or whatever, they may look at me or, sir, what are you doing here? There's there's a privilege to like, yeah. oh, you know, just whatever, not being walked around by a store or something. There's like in, there's some inherent privilege. Absolutely. But, but in kind of like in the real world, in the business, and I'm not in the business world. I don't know. I think things are. I'm so not the person to ask. I'm not in a business. I'm not in the real world. I'm not even in my own. My, even my mind is always in a fantasy land. Right. But it just seems to me that like, I don't know. It just seems like. My my big thing that irks me is, like I said, is the whole idea that instead of talking to each other, instead of trying to find understanding, it sounds like we're all trying to, before we've even listened to the other person, we're trying to tell them why their opinion doesn't matter. And it's and and in terms of me, my my trigger was like the whole someone had written in, and I was trying to actually expand my mind. Yeah, I don't want to do my the, the my my part of the joke, but that's kind of the part of my joke, which you'll see on the weekend. But you know, like that's kind of like my thing is we're all together. Yeah, like that's kind of that's kind of like the the thing of the whole thing is like we're not di- we're not really different. No, we're not. And that's the thing so, is we, we put it like talk, talk to each other. We realize what our differences don't go. Hey, you, you're this, you're that, you're privileged. You're right. Because like, I, when I, we start putting ourselves in boxes, it, it, yeah. But, because I, but I, then that's the thing too, is I don't even want to speak. I speak, I spoke way too much on this already right now. Yeah. But, sorry. But, but no, but that's the thing is like, I don't, that's the thing. It's like, it's not my thing. Yeah. I, so I can't speak to it. I'm a white man. I don't try to speak to it really. So, but in the same thing, it's like, it's, it's kind of like always in my face. When it's like, I just kind of want to get along. Like, I'm not, I'm not going to rallies. I'm not, you know. Well, and I'm the same, I'm the same thing. I'm like, I'm like, I like talking to people. Like we talked right at the beginning. We talked about just, if you have an interesting conversation, if you have something to say, it's cool to be engaged in it. But I mean, for me, yeah, I'm not, I'm not rallying for anything. All I go is just, I want to hear what you have to say. I don't need to tell you why it's not valuable. Tell me and then I'll judge whether or not I'm interested. Like in our business, you know, like with, you know, we have to be on Facebook and Twitter. And just, I don't know if it's like this in Canada, but like all of just the people that want to put their political agendas or their, oh God, so, yeah. their social, um, whatever agendas, it's just like, yeah, no, enough, it's, it's and, like and, that. And, it's and, like and, that here. We have CNN too, and we have and our, like our just, Trump and Hillary supporters. Just enough, but, but just the social causes and everything. 
it's really just it's really too much it, it, it's just it's just too much man you, people need a break well and that's that's what i said i mean really at the end of the day and i don't mean talk fucking politics all the time i just mean uh, the the person who had written in you know and not to i try not to give them too much airtime because he has like five more questions we should make. no no yeah sorry yeah uh, this is yeah, this is answer it's all jerry's fault <laughs> by the way I think just it was one of those things where they they got mad at me because I was trying to, you know, go into the LGBT definitions. The acronym is getting longer and I was trying to understand them. And uh, they didn't like there's how there's already I, too many of them. Right? <laughs> there's either you're gay or you're not. Why do we have to like Well, there's there's a lot more of them. And here Canada It looks like they're trying to win on the wheel of fortune. <laughs> I had made a joke. I had made a joke too saying it's an acronym. Why is it longer than most words? Like I but I was joking. It is you know what it's I mean? like LGBT. LGBT. Uh, well, here's the thing. That was the thing too. I looked at the government. The Canadian government has a different one than the American government. Different, uh, different sections have and different websites and different news media had different ones. So the idea was, I I did my best in a very short period of time trying to go. Hey everyone, it's Pride Month. This and and here's the acronym, which I didn't realize was this long. Here's what my research has meant or whatever. But the idea was the person who got upset with me was upset because probably not even a gay person. Who knows? But no. All, but it, it, it's usually. That's what gets me, is the the white do-gooders or the straight do-gooders. The social justice warriors? That are like, it's not even your fight. Yeah. Well, for me, it was like... <laughs> like, you know, it's like, what do you... Let them be... It's like, it, it, it's like whenever everyone wants to change the Redskins, the Washington Redskins name. Right. And you find out that like 90% of the people that are Indians don't even give a shit. Yeah, there's more. They've got a few <laughs> other things guilty. that are a little more important to yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, it's it's more like white people who are like, oh my god, this is terrible. Well, that's the thing, right? It's it's that forever. As long as you're focused on what someone else is doing, you're not focused on yourself, and you need to be trying to improve yourself. Yeah. But anyways, long story short, is this person and I were not even at odds in terms of what the real issue was, which was to be open minded, be trying to expand your mind. But I I tried to learn. I said something that they didn't like in terms of oh, I got the like basically it was I got the definition wrong in their mind, and so. As much as I'm trying to go, okay, well, here's what I've learned trying to go outside more and, and understand something that I don't understand about. I, I felt like they they were like, not only should you not be talking about this because you're not part of the group, but you got to watch your jokes because you're a white male privileged. And I was like, I'm like, are you not listening to anything I'm saying? I'm 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 trying to to broaden my horizons, and I feel like like I said, I don't I don't feel like I've gone out of my way to say anything outrageous or anything now. But it's there's there's that fear that like, holy fuck, I'm a good person, I'm not coming down on anybody. Why is it scary to talk about these things? Well, listen. Well, listen to this. About a couple, about a few, a few months ago, I was in a town. I did a show, and I stopped by the local comedy club, and they're like, "Oh my god, yeah, we heard you were great. We want to start booking you here." Like, fantastic. Went out of the way, blah blah blah, blah. get all the information, and the person in charge, and it's, if it gets bad, it's whatever. Yeah, but was a man dressed as a woman. Whatever you want to say. Okay. Not even, but not even doing a good job. Like just. Almost like Halloweenish, but totally, and had the the female name and all the stuff. Totally played it off like no big deal. It's not a big deal, but didn't like say, "Hey, oh, dude, yeah." <laughs> Cut to like a week later, I call back to like look to get booked, and at the end, I go, "Okay," like on the message, like, "Okay, thanks, man." <laughs> like, uh, haven't heard back from him. Right. I meant absolutely no disrespect, but he's a dude. I don't know what the plumbing has changed, but I mean, it, it, I didn't mean to offend them. I'm totally, I don't care what they do. Right. You know what I mean? It's just kind of one of those things like that person probably got sensitive. That's like, oh my God, you called me a man. Or it's like, but it's like, you well, are a man. And that's why for me. And, and, like, and don't be mad at me. Like, I'm not trying to be a dick. I just don't like, I'm almost 50. Like, 
I'm just going to call you a dude. Like well, I call Bruce Jenner, Bruce Jenner. He's Bruce Jenner. I get the fact he's a woman now. He's still Bruce Jenner. I call him Muhammad Ali, Muhammad Ali, because he's Muhammad Ali. I know some people right. call him Cash Clever. He changed his name, but it's like he's he's he changed his. Name. I, I don't I don't know because because when I knew him as Muhammad Ali, I wasn't old enough to know when he was Cash Clay. Right. I wasn't old enough to call Lou Alcindor Lou Alcindor. I know him as Kareem Abdul Jabbar. Right. Like I know Prince is Prince. I know Prince is whatever that symbol. But well, you, but you know you know what I mean though. It's like I call people what they are whenever. Like people in my family, like I have a big Italian family, like you know, they, everyone has a nickname. Like he wants to be called Charles. Well, he's butchy or whatever. You he's know, butchy. Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. What I mean, it's like that's just the. I, and yeah, and I understand, and that's why, like I said, I mean, just just you know, wrapping it back up is just that it's. I want to learn. I'm I'm open to the idea that things change. So I'm kind of like, okay, I want to know. But if you start asking questions and stuff, and people jump down your throat, I go, okay, well, it's not. If well, you want me to, if you want things to be more at least this is my thought and I could be wrong, but my thoughts are if you want people to learn, if you have something new that you want to learn people, make it a warm climate for them to, to come well, and I, learn. And then, yeah. then to you, you take one attempt and someone jumps down your throat. You're like, fuck, I'm not going anywhere near that well, again they, because it's these scary. People have agendas. These people have agendas. Like, did you, I'm going to say these people, like Ross Perot, these people, but, uh, well, did you, did you, if you didn't hear this, we won't go over, but did you hear about the whole thing with John McEnroe and Serena Williams? Did you catch any of that? Uh, I think I, I, I'm sure it's well popular here. Well, I don't know. Well, 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 there's a lady who's like, you know, whatever on um, NPR. And she like was, you know, in, in Baghdad for 30 years. So she interviews John McEnroe and, and she's like, what do you think of Serena Williams? And he goes, oh, he's, she's the best female tennis player ever. Yeah. And she goes, well, why would you say female? Some people would just say the best player ever. And he's all like, yeah, but if she played with the men, she would be like number 700. And, and, and then she's like, and, and it became the biggest uproar in the world. And it's like, and he literally, he, but he said she's the greatest player of all time. And he even said she could beat some men some of the time. But if she played on the tour, that's where she would be. And people got all in an uproar. It's like, why can't they just admit the fact that she's a woman? It's not, it's nothing. You had some NPR chick like trying to poke him and he was as nice as he could be about it. Where, as opposed to just being like happy that he's talking about women's tennis and just, like well, oh Serena's great oh yeah she's great blah 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 like that's it she had to like these these you know the, the social justice warriors are always looking just to like and poking people and getting people to react as you can go ha 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 you're a racist or you're this or that it doesn't bring people together well that's uh, that's where yeah. my position is it's like I just <laughs> you know, I just want to be you're, I think you're not helping them you say oh oh that's great uh, John do you think maybe she could beat a man one day. Well, I don't know, maybe. I, and he got into like, she, he either said, well, he could be some of her or whatever, like nice about it. But you know what I mean? As opposed to just being like, well, why would you marry her? It's like. Yeah, that's the thing. Like I said, it's it it, it makes it tough. Like I, I want to have productive conversations. With, I want to learn. But at the same time, like I don't want to be attacked. That's why I tell people all the time. I go, I, I before I started podcasting, I'm going to ask you questions. I go, I'm not going to ambush you because that's not my my intention ever. And I always ask, is there anything that you know you don't want to talk about? And I've so far I've not had a single guest who's like, nope, there's nothing off limits. Well, like, well, like, yeah, well, I mean, I come from everything for fun, for funny, you know. Yeah. Like, okay, we the contest in Toronto, and um, this uh, Islamic chick was really funny, and she did well, and she was like ended in the top five or something. So I, when I go on stage to do my wrapping up set, I would always talk about the people I liked, like uh, this guy Chi and that and the other thing and Norm. And so I go, I, my first thing I said was, well, that terrorist chick was hilarious. And the place cracked up because they knew I came from a good place. Yeah. 
you know, you could be offended if you're like, oh my God, I can't believe you called her a terrorist. It was a joke. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> and yeah, that's yeah. the thing. Like, there's, that's the whole point. It's a joke. Well, and that's, that's the thing too. There's so many people who like, who are going like, oh, it's a comedy club. They know you're kidding. I'm like, you'd be amazed how many people will go to a comedy club and get upset well, they, about they, it. Yeah. Because they still want it to fit into the little box of happiness. Well, that's why I say like, for me at the end of the day, I want everybody to win. I, I, I try to Getting treat back everybody to, is like there racism in comedy? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, but wait, uh, yes, no. Uh, there's, I mean, it's like anything else. Yeah, the other questions I think are a little quicker, but um, he wanted to know what are the chances of a guy with a strong accent make it big in comedy scene? What, what, what kind of accent is it? So I believe that, uh, now this is where I could be wrong because this would be me just guessing, but I believe um, it's like a strong, you know, East Indian sort of Pakistani. Uh, as long as they can hear, as long as they can figure out what you're saying. Yeah. You have an advantage because you're going to be funnier to listen to. Yeah. You know what I mean? You're going to have a little bit of a hook there. Well, it's something, it brings something unique to the table. Yeah, exactly. You have to, you have to be you anyway. So it's a, it's a different part, but you have to be able to, unless you're going to do gigs in India, speaking Indian, you have, people have to understand what you're saying. An example is, um, you know, um, um, Arthur. Arthur Simeon. Yeah. Hilarious comic. He has a little bit of an accent. You get used to it and you understand he's hilarious. But everyone everyone understands what he's saying. Absolutely. He, he has an very, accent. Yeah, there's it's, it's a thick Ugandan accent, but he gets the words out. You know what he's saying. Absolutely. As long as you can articulate and and uh enunciate what you're saying. Yeah. Um now his cause that goes with the second question, which is 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 industry view the variety, brown, black, accent, etc., in comedy as a, an opportunity or a distraction? So you were saying that's that an like opportunity. it could be like a hook or something. It's like an opportunity. That. It's, not a, it's not a distraction at all. Uh, and he says, uh, now this, this was a great question to come in because we've been talking about it forever is his question is how can you do stand up without offending anyone? <laughs> Which would, I would love to know the answer to that. I try not to do that. So I'm the last person to ask. I, I think if everybody's there, you know, victimless comedy is almost impossible. Yeah. There has to be an exaggeration. There has to be a butt of the joke. Yeah. I mean, a lot, a lot of times I'm the butt of the joke, you know, so you know, there has to be something, you know, I, I don't know. No, I, I, I agree. I thought that question, I'm like, there's no answer. How can you do stand up without offending anyone? Yeah, it's like, not possible. Well, you know, but I think people are trying. I, I think people want that, though. I think NPR wants to produce a comedy show where nobody's offended. You know, I think there, I think I think I think there's forces that I think people want that. I think there's networks that want that to happen. But. Well, it's the whole idea is that, you know, what offends you is case by case. I mean, like you're, you know, you're a big bone fella. You, you know, you're one. This you're, is the first I'm hearing of this. But joke. you're one of the last. Uh, <laughs> you know, like fat, fat is one of the last, and now there's fat shaming. But like on network TV, you know, like pretty much every show now, the only people you can really pick on are the fat white dad. Right, that's like he's a dumb guy. He's a lazy guy. It's like the hey, honeymooners format, yeah, right? The but, fat, but, stupid husband. But it's like that's kind of like the last guy on American Network TV that you can actually like that you can easily throw arrows at. Right. Everything else is almost kind of sacred, you know. Well, well, and that's and, as and, opposed to the seventies and eighties where everybody was fair game and sixties, you know. Yeah, you're not going to see an "I Love Lucy" for a, you know. We're not going to see all the works. family or the Jeffersons. God no. No, and that's that's the thing is yeah. if you see anything close to that now you're like what the yeah or good times or any of the great shows yeah yeah no there's well and that's that's like I said in terms of offending people you don't even know what's going to get people's backup you could t- write a joke about ramen noodles and someone's dad choked to death on a fucking bed and oh, now yeah. that's offensive or you hear like you oh my joke. god don't you about cancer my great uncle died of cancer like he's gonna die of something some way 
So well, you, you, know, you could talk about car accidents and someone's friend died in a car accident. Yeah, no, so, like, you know, yeah, that, yeah, all that stuff. But uh, but the idea is like, there's no way to find a subject that no one's going to offend because depending on what's going on, yeah, you know what I mean. Even somebody who was important to you just happened to work for that place or whatever. So it's not about the place, but they died recently, and now that's right. upsetting. Like, but, but getting back to the whole thing about the the woman who didn't understand my joke and stuff. That's that's usually when you're talking about them. Uh, them or whatever group you're talking about, if they have a sense of humor, they usually get the biggest kick out of it. Like you're talking about gay dudes, they love it. They come up, oh, you're hilarious. Or, or black chicks or whatever the case may be. Usually, uh, if you make it about them and you're just not mean, it's funny. They usually love hearing them talked about. Uh, so number, f- he's just got two questions left. He goes, isn't comedy all about setting your limits and cross it deliberately with the audience? And I think we've addressed uh, that somewhat. He's basically, I think he's saying that like, basically find the line and then step over it. Is that not what what comedy is all about. I don't know if that's what it's about. I think it's about being funny. Yeah. I think a lot of people don't cross any lines and they're hilarious. That's a lot. Some of my humor is maybe a little over the line, but I think a lot of people's aren't. Yeah. Like I I don't, I don't, I can't say that that's what it's about. Like Brian Regan isn't about crossing over lines. God, no. Jim Gaffigan isn't about crossing over lines. So I don't think that's what comedy is about. uh, He sounds like a guy that has an agenda that wants to, uh, you know, which there's a lot of those now. The comedy's in a boom. There's a lot of those guys too. Well, they want to get their political or whatever their point of view out there. And if it's not funny, it's not going to be funny, right? You sort of just whether you have an accent or whatever lines you're crossing, you got to make it funny. Yeah, that's really. I mean, it's it's a lot of guys want to make it more complicated than that. I just say listen to the audience. If they're laughing, then you're doing a good job. Yeah. If they're not laughing, then you need to figure out why they're not laughing. Yeah, that's why you listen to your tape. <laughs> exactly. Uh, and then of course his last question is how do you judge someone in comedy if they're good or bad? I mean, there's, I mean I, I've seen enough comedy. I can tell if somebody is good whether the crowd likes them or not. Now, there's some people I, can, I know are good. That I'm, I'm, it's not my cup of tea. Right. You know? And I respect, I've got the same. But I'll, I have most people, like, you know, like my wife has seen many comics too, and she has, she's, she's not a comic. She has much less of a, like, a easier splash. <laughs> like, She'll be like, this guy sucks, or that one's terrible. I'll, I'll be in way more people that benefit the doubt because they're doing it. But right, you know. But you get an idea of it, yeah. Like I said, I, I mean, some of the questions are kind of like, well, you know, I mean, they're a, they're very broad, so not to not to attack yeah, or judge, it but it's like kind of like, how do you do comedy without offending someone? How can you tell if someone's good or not? You know, aren't you supposed to step over the line? It's kind of like, like, like I'm on like some freshman's radio station at college. <laughs> <laughs> well, like I said, I mean, I, I tell my listeners if they want to write in questions, I will no, ask I'm them. No, sure, I'm you know, tape all your sets, dude. You cross any line you want, and don't worry about your accent. That'd be my advice to you. Yeah, just and if someone's good, how do you know they're good? The crowd's laughing, whatever. Like I, I there's guys who are not my cup of tea. No, like there's, said, but there's guys, that but are you see that they the work. Crowd laughs though. Yeah, there's so guys that are terrible at the crowd. Usually, usually the crowd loves the terrible people. Well, that's that's it for the uh, the questions and everything. So this is up to you, man. I've got a uh, I've got something from my partners at Portable Press from the Bathroom Readers of the Shoots and Scores one. Did you want me to uh, to read this with you, or do you want me to add it on as an after fact? I kind of want to hear the story, but I'm kind of done podcasting. Yeah, yeah. Did that make any sense? Like, yeah, I'm kind of yeah. tired. Hey guys, so this is an insert after the fact. Um, I'm recording this after the interview. Um, basically what happened is I did read the article with Joe. Um, but I think that, uh, you know, we had had a two hour long podcast almost and, uh, we got, uh, we did get kind of tired. Um, so Joe was actually sort of just sitting there while I read this four page, uh, article 
And, uh, and because I could see sort of, you know, the fact that he was just sitting there, I sort of raced through it and, uh, I really didn't give this article, you know, the, quite the credit that it deserved. So I figured best thing to do was just, I'm going to take another stab at it now. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read it calmly. I don't have someone sitting across the patient to the table patiently waiting for me to finish this article. I do find it interesting. I read it earlier in the day, uh, before the podcast and I, I enjoyed it. Um, but like I said, when there's someone sitting across the table, uh, you kind of feel like you're holding them hostage while you sit here and read a, a book at them. Um, so yeah, I, I just, for everyone who's tuned in because they're fans of, uh, of Joe Bartnick's puck off podcast and kind of want to hear the interview with them and, you know, the hockey fans in general, um, I figured a perfect opportunity to, uh, share, you know, this article with you guys. So, um, I'm going to read it for you now in its entirety with a proper pacing and, and giving it the credit it's deserved. So as usual, my partners at portablepress.com. Um, have provided this wonderful uh, book, which is the Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Shoots and Scores. So the article I picked out today uh, is called Where It All Began. And it says, Hockey's longest running and often most heated argument concerns the site of the game's origins. So one of the liveliest hockey battles, as energetic as the scrappiest of scraps for the puck in any NHL rink corner, is waged by the game's historians. The contentious subject of debate is where and when the primitive forms of this wonderful game actually originated. So let there be ice is the first section. Combine ice, a frozen pond or river, and narrow steel blades attached to one's feet, and you will find that quick movement over the slippery surface becomes possible. Throw in sticks and something to hit while moving on the ice, a ball, a wooden disc, frozen horse manure, and a game is born. While there are reports of stones being kicked or hit back and forth with sticks after the Norman invasion of Britain in the 11th century, and while Chinese and Russian folklore document stick and ball games on ice 500 years ago, the earliest form of what really became ice hockey was most likely played in the Canadian province of Nova Scotia, and probably in the town of Windsor. So next section, er early hurly burly. That Windsor would become among hockey's earliest sites shouldn't come as a surprise. It can get very cold there, but also Windsor was one of Canada's first towns, settled in 1684 and the location of the country's first college. Anglican church members working in the New World as executives of steamship, lumber, and fur trading companies did not want to send their children all the way back to England for a decent education. So instead, they imported British professors to form King's College School, and the professors brought their games with them, cricket, rounders, uh, the forerunner of baseball, and Irish hurley, a form of field hockey, were field games that were modified for the snow and ice of the Canadian winter. Mention of ice hurley around 1800 is the first written reference to a stick and ball game on a, sur a frozen surface. Uh, next section, Colonel Hockey. One story claims that a Colonel Hockey, a common English name at the time, had British troops based at Windsor play the game for winter exercise and hockey's game became simply hockey. A ball struck in Hurley was said to be pucked, and the first wooden disc used in the game became known as simply the buck. Next section, other claims to the game. For many decades, the original site for hockey was thought to be Kingston, Ontario, because the first written report of the game was published there in 1855. Soldiers at the British garrison wearing primitive skates clamped their shoes and used field hockey sticks and a lacrosse ball to play in a large area of Kingston Harbour cleared of snow. In 1903, a Kingston newspaper brashly declared the town the birthplace of hockey. In 1941, an elderly Montreal resident re uh, recounted stories from his father about a primitive game of hockey in that city in 1837. 
In the 1870s, a group of students at McGill University in Montreal invented a game played on ice using a combination of rules from field hockey, lacrosse, and rugby. A de- a, sorry, a definitive seven paragraphs in the 1877 Montreal Gazette recorded the first set of printed rules for hockey as devised by these clever students. The next section, whooping it up in Windsor. Although extensive research has provided evidence of the game in Nova Scotia from 1800 on, historians have been unable to agree on a precise locale and date. The area had long winters, abundant ice, many students and soldiers with plenty of time on their hands, and keen sporting spirits in quest of diversion from the cold, cold season. The much-quoted author Thomas Chandler Halliburton was born in Windsor and attended King's College. He had arts and law degrees and became a distinguished judge and writer, often called the father of American humor. A paragraph in an article Halliburton wrote for a British magazine in 1844 about his days as a student at King's College has caught the eye of many a hockey historian. The boys let out racing, yelling, hollering, and whooping like mad with pleasure, and the playground and the game at Bass in the Fields, or Hurley on the Long Pond on the Ice, or Campin'. Out at night at Chester Lakes to fish. Halliburton had graduated from King's in 1810, and his mention of Hurley, the early name of ho- for hockey, indicates the game was played before that year. Newspaper stories were discovered that discussed Hurley on Long Pond at Windsor before 1816. Uh, next section, from Ironwood to Sherwood. Windsor was enjoyed as a resort by wealthy residents of Halifax, some of whom owned luxurious estates in the town. They would come to fish, hunt, and race horses on the horse track and on ice, and to attend cultural events at the college. Thus, word of the most exciting game on ice was spread across the province, and soldiers based in the Halifax-Dartmouth area also started to play. As the game grew, a loose set of rules was established, a sort of sporting code rather than a written rule book, to govern how the game was conducted. The Micmac natives of Nova Scotia, who had a field and ice game of their own, supplied the first pucks. Slices of black cherry wood with tight, dark bark, making it easier to find in the snow. They also carved strong one-piece hockey sticks from ironwood trees with roots still attached. The root used for the blade, the stem carved into the handle. Uh, Next section, the first road trip. When the army moved west to Montreal and Kingston, the game went with them. An 1846 entry in a dialogue, sorry, diary belonging to, to the father of a Kingston historian reads, most of the boys were quite uh, at home on their skates. They could cut the figure eight, but shinny was their delight. The word shinny had come from the Scotch stick and ball field game of shinty and is used today to describe a loosely structured game of pickup hockey. A British army officer wrote in his diary in 1843, Uh, in quotes, began to skate this year, improved quickly, and had fun at hockey on ice, end quote. Supporters of Kingston, as the game's birthplace, use these lines to back their contentions. Uh, Next section, bullies provide order. One major development in hockey's growth from a mad scramble sport with as many players as the size of the available ice surface would hold to a more organized game was the publication of the famous Gazette Rules. Uh, uh, Those seven paragraphs printed in the Montreal newspaper on February 27th, 1877, supplied a basis for the game that exists to this day, defining offsides, fouls against opponents, and how players were to resume after the ball or puck went off the ice. A face-off in those rules was called a bully. The rules slowly expanded over the years, the number of players on the ice for one team being reduced from 15 to 7. 
Uh, last section. Shall we take this inside? By 1880, several cities in Canada had indoor arenas, built first for pleasure skating with no hockey allowed. Gradually, the game moved indoors, the lacrosse ball bouncing out of place so often that some enterprising soul sliced it to produce a flat piece of rubber that would slide on the ice. As shooting skills improved, various pieces of primitive equipment were introduced to protect shins. Goalies were padding, and skates evolved from the blades that were strapped to the boots to skate boots, with blades permanently attached. But going all the way back to the chilly outdoor days, there is no doubt hockey is a very competitive sport, both on the ice and in the minds of many professionals and amateur historians. And finally, just a little subsection that they have on the last page here is called Double Vision. During 1978 playoff game... Uh, sorry, during a 1978 playoff game, New York Rangers goalie John Davidson was hit in the mask with a slap shot. Announcers Jim Gordon and Bill Chadwick noted that Davidson must have double vision after such a blow. Members of the American rock band Foreigner happened to be watching the game and thought double vision would be a good name for a song. The subsequent song became the title track of their next album. The hockey game inspired double vision went on to sell 14 million copies. So that was the uh, that was the history lesson on hockey, guys. Where it all began is the name of the article from uh, Uncle John's Bathroom Reader Shoots and Scores. Available so you're a hockey fan. It's a great uh, book that has tons of information in it. Uh, lots of great articles. And again, in the future, you guys will get pieces of here and there. But if you can't wait for more of them, go out and pick them up at portablepress.com. My partner's there. So again, I've added this article after the fact to give it its proper, you know, cadence and respect and um, just so that you guys can actually enjoy it rather than my speed read version, which I got to tell you guys is just almost impossible to read. It's like, there's no periods in it or anything like that. So, uh, yeah, I wanted to back, you know, add it in after the fact. So, uh, so thank you guys for, for bearing with that, uh, that little edit. I don't typically ever edit anything into the podcast, but I figured, um, it's not like I said something and then took it out. I basically just reread it, but in a better way. Um, so I am going to go back to my, my just saying farewell to Joe. And of course the outro music from, uh, from Monkey Junk, as always, phenomenal Canadian blues band. Feel free to check them out. I haven't given them an, a, a little shout out in a while, but you know, the title track Show Me Yours by Monkey Junk. Um, always happy to have them. So again, I, I'm going to uh, throw it back to the earlier recording. Uh, thank you guys so much for enduring this, this edit. And, uh, you know, I hope you enjoyed. I, uh, I really want to thank you for, for sitting and chatting with me, Joe. I really appreciate that, buddy. Um, I look forward to, uh, to seeing the, the full sets this weekend and, and working with you. Yeah, it'll be fun, man. Yeah, buddy. And the, uh, the podcast is, uh, I'll, I'll post it tomorrow, but for you guys listening, it is Friday when this comes out. And, uh, and we will chat with you soon. So thank you so much for listening to uh, yet another bonus episode of the One Man Podcast, guys. We will talk with you next time. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you. Man.